A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 100 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.StarWarsReport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, and on Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman, and with me, like the many incarnations of the Doctor, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. That's right, folks. It's the day of the Doctor. Not Doctor, the Doctor. That's how he always says it. Um, yeah, wow, we're recording our 100th episode on the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who right after the special airs. It's a geek day in the Butler household. <laughs> I was wondering if that was your Doctor pin or not. <laughs> that, is my, that is my 11th Doctor sonic screwdriver with this little uh, thing that extends out there that you probably just heard. So, yeah. Nice. My students, my AP students, enjoyed seeing this on uh, on Friday. None of the other classes had any idea what the heck they were seeing, but one of them spotted it in my pocket in eighth period. It's like, is that? Yes, it is. <laughs> he starts going nuts. Oh, 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 look! And they're like, what are you talking about, George? It's the, it's the, it's. The, we don't care. You're like, but, but, but. See, that's. I was looking around online, and I'm just like, man, I wish I was more into Doctor Who. Like we were talking before the show, I want to get in on it. I get, I'm interested. It's just the thought of getting in there. It's like, oh my gosh, it's like the EU. It's so daunting. Where do I begin? Well, I'll tell you, I was in tears one moment, thinking, oh god, I can't believe that's about to happen. Another moment, and then a couple times, I was literally going, woo, in my apartment out loud. Thank goodness my wife was at work, or there would probably be video. <laughs> well, another thing about this episode is you're hearing it the day after Thanksgiving as well. You know, so, or a happy life day for those of you out there who uh, celebrate that. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we are having our 100th celebration. That's right, some episode awesomeness, all for you. Uh, we've got some great things coming up for you. We've got a look into 2014, what's going on with Star Wars Beyond the Films, and more. we got new podcast mentioning coming up. We've got State of the Continuity, State of the EU, your feedback, the look at 2014, as well as the hardcover contest details you've been pondering about. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go. That's right, folks. This, I guess, is kind of a spoiler. Uh, if you haven't listened to the final, or excuse me, I shouldn't say final, uh, the newest episode of Republic Forces Radio Network, then spoilers, it is the final episode of Republic Forces Radio Network over at republicforces.com. Uh, if you haven't been following that show, that was a show that was started by Venganza Media, same team that does uh, Star Wars Action News, Star Wars Action News Book Club podcast, Marvelicious Toys, Now Playing, Books and Nachos, all that stuff, that family of podcasts. Way back when season one of the Clone Wars cartoon series started, they picked up and started covering the show episode by episode by episode. I was on there a couple of times in the early days, though I was mostly covering that show on my old podcast, The Butlerniverse, 
And then, uh, starting with their retrospective on droids, I stepped in and became part of that ongoing team. And as of the last little bit, uh, we had wrapped up Season 5, we did coverage of the Ewoks cartoons, never want to see all those again, um, and then finally decided to go back as sort of an end cap of everything to do a feature on the Clone Wars movie, which is the one Clone Wars thing that Republic Forces Radio Network had never covered. They'd done the Clone Wars micro-series, uh, the holiday special cartoon, Ewoks, droids, all of Clone Wars, except the film. So we wrapped it up with the coverage of the film and a gigantic announcement. Uh, the announcement being that uh, due to time constraints and other things and the lack of trying to put in you know, another five, however many years commitment to a new show, um, the decision was made that Republic Forces Radio Network would be ending for Benganza. Uh, Republic Forces Radio Network in its current incarnation uh, will not be returning. Its current incarnation being the one uh, that is hosted by Jonathan with panelists that include uh, Jen, Barrett, me, Jerry, Dan, and sometimes, though rarely, Arnie. And while we were sort of bracing for impact, knowing that this was possibly coming, we started talking about other possibilities. Because um, many of us, uh, most of the team, were actually interested in continuing on to discuss Star Wars Rebels when it came out. People were asking us, please, 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 come back and do Star Wars Rebels. But it looked like it wasn't going to happen, at least not within Venganza. So after discussing this a little bit, I was able to get some discussions going with Riley of the Star Wars Report. And the idea eventually coalesced into a new show. Uh, it's something that uh, Eric, uh, uh, is it Harzer? I always want to put an N into it. Um, had actually said online, I, I had made a, I mean, after this decision was made and after the, the Facebook page was made and ready to launch and everything, uh, quite a while later, I had asked sort of tongue-in-cheek on our Facebook page for Beyond the Films, what would you rather see cover Rebels? Star Wars Beyond the Films or Republic Forces Radio Network? And the comment was made uh, by Eric that he'd like to see Republic Forces Radio Network covering it with maybe Mark mixed in from time to time. And that's basically what we had come up with. Uh, Republic Forces Radio Network may be ending, but most of the team, that is me, Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, and it looks like Dan, if his time permits, but uh, not Arnie, and at this point it looks like not Jerry, will be moving over to the StarWarsReport.com podcast family, adding in Mark here from Star Wars Beyond the Films, and launching a new show entitled Rebels Roundtable. It's going to be the format of Republic Forces Radio Network. Jonathan will still be mixing. Jonathan will still be hosting. Only now, Mark will be part of the mix, and that opens the door for other people, possibly from the Star Wars Report family of podcasts to be in there. Um, you can already go to rebelsroundtable.com and that will send you over to starwarsreport.com. Eventually it'll send you over to the part of starwarsreport.com that the show winds up running under, just like Beyond the Films has its own page over there. Um, you can also already find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable, all is one word. And you can find us on Twitter, though Rebels Roundtable didn't work because it's too long. Uh, on Twitter it is simply at rebelsround, again, all as one word. You can sort of start interacting with us before the show ever premieres. Uh, we're looking forward to doing some pre-Rebels launch stuff. And eventually, if we do see those Clone Wars bonus content episodes finally being released, which they should be in early 2014, we'll be doing an episode on that, though whether that releases as Rebels Roundtable only or is sort of simul-released as Rebels Roundtable and a special coda edition of RepublicForces.com's uh, Republic Forces Radio Network. 
that we still have to see that we still have to work out but uh, the Facebook page has launched the announcement has been made we are now gearing up for that new show and no that does not mean Star Wars Beyond the Films is going anywhere it's just that now uh, you're getting sort of the best of both worlds you're getting Star Wars Beyond the Films uh, team work here me and Mark mixed in with the panelists of Republic Forces Radio Network into one uh, super show you might say with Rebels coming so that's the big Big, big announcement that we've been holding off on and waiting and waiting until that final RFRN could air. I'm glad it, it was released in enough time for us to talk about it here on the 100th episode. I think it makes a good milestone uh, uh, that we can talk about here. Yeah, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. And what better time to actually get to announce it? I mean, that, it was kind of fortuitous on our end that it happened to be at our 100th episode. I mean, you know, we're celebrating. One more thing to celebrate. I'm actually really excited about it. I mean, you know, think about the Clone Wars, all the action the adventure, and the continuity issues that came along the way. I mean, there's so much to talk about with that show alone, and we're entering this whole new world of Disney. Anything is possible. There's all these new options available, all the new potential chaos to go with it. Uh, it's an exciting place to be. I mean, it's trepidatious at the same time, but you know me, I'm always looking at the glasses uh, half full, unless you know we want it to be empty, and then it's half empty. Uh, but you know, other things that we have like that are our state of the current continuity and the uh, state of the EU addresses. Nathan, you uh, you put a lot of thought into this. You, you kind of made me a little overwhelmed. I, I believe you had like five and a half pages typed. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm like, man, I'm slacking. You're like, like you're the A plus student. I'm over here like with a D minus. I'm like, man, I, I just got like point notes. I'm like, <laughs> so we'll let you take the, uh, the state of continuity and uh, give us your address real quick and then I'll follow up with the state of the EU. Okay. You know, I'm very interested in seeing what happens with Rebels Roundtable because me and Barrett don't always agree, though it's always a good-natured disagreement. I'm curious, uh, you being another continuity guy, if you are going to be the next one uh, to be bouncing off back and forth with Barrett. should be <laughs> should be fun. Um, but okay, so uh, what I was asked basically by, uh, by Mark here as we were heading towards this big 100th episode was to do some kind of sort of State of the Union type of thing, but for... The expanded universe, specifically for the official continuity, especially given uh, what is coming. So I sat down, and as he said, scripted out. He just kind of kept going and going and going. So if you will bear with me, uh, it's a bit long. Like I said, about five and a half type pages. But uh, I think this hits basically where I expect the EU to be or not be, as the case may be, here in the very near future. So, that all being said, um, as a Star Wars fan for as long as I can remember... A Star Wars timeliner for 16 years, a Star Wars podcaster for 11 years, and an infrequent minor Star Wars Expanded Universe contributor, I find myself disheartened in that I must say that as of this, the 11th month of the 36th calendar year in the life of the Star Wars saga, the 11th month of the 22nd calendar year in the life of the modern Star Wars Expanded Universe, the state of our beloved Star Wars Expanded Universe is not strong. Ours is a saga that has seen better days. Let me back up here. The key to the question of how we find the saga in late 2013 relies on nomenclature. The library of licensed Star Wars story products, comics, novels, video games, and the like, is what one would literally mean when referring to the, quote, expanded universe. That terminology, though, reflects the breadth and scope of a saga that's not just in continuity materials, but also things like the Infinities comics, the alternate endings of The Force Unleashed 1 and 2, and amusing comedic takes on the saga like Darth Vader and Son or Sergio Stomp Star Wars. Yet, when fans usually use the term expanded universe, that's not what they're referring to. 
When the term EU is applied to Star Wars, we generally mean the overall Star Wars official continuity, which I think of in capital O, capital C terms. The interconnected, single continuity that was launched as an extension of the Star Wars film saga in 1991. This would exclude those aforementioned non-continuity materials out there that these days get slapped with the in-canon designation. So let me rephrase my opening comment. The state of the Star Wars expanded universe of licensed works, continuity notwithstanding, is strong. The library of Star Wars materials available grows weekly and is sure to see even more new ventures as we near Episode 7 in December 2015. There's a lot of Star Wars material out there, and the volume continues to expand. It isn't all great, and some recent offerings seem to have strove for mediocrity, as I've said, but the overall library available is rather strong. However, the state of the Star Wars official continuity, the in-continuity saga of C-canon and potentially some S-canon that expands upon a core of G and T-canon materials like the films and the Clone Wars, is strained. I dare say that the official continuity as we know it is recreating Night on Hoth from The Empire Strikes Back. A Tauntaun lies dead and sliced open, and a rebel is snuggled up inside its guts. Only, in this particular case, the continuity is the Tauntaun, not the Rebel. The Rebel that sliced it open and curled up in its carcass could be called giving up on continuity, or, as we might more informally refer to him, Brian Wood. The golden age of the Star Wars continuity has passed. One could certainly argue about what era was the golden age. Some would say that it was the period before Lucas re-entered the scene with the Clone Wars and tossed an Ahsoka-sized thermal detonator into the continuity of the Clone Wars era. Others might say that the golden age of the continuity ended once Lucas began work on the prequel trilogy, altering character ages, character backstories, our perception of the Jedi and the Sith, and even the very nature of the Force itself. A more frustrated fan might even say that the golden age of the official continuity died a mere six years after the modern continuation began, the moment Greedo shot first. There have been plenty of continuity-shaking events in the life of a saga that'll turn 44 years from now, or three years given the A New Hope novelizations released in December 1976. However, I would argue that you'd be very hard-pressed to find a Star Wars fan who would have any disagreement whatsoever that the golden age of Star Wars continuity is indeed over. The battle between quality continuity storytelling for the longtime fan base and its two greatest rivals, the whim of the copyright holder and the desire for profit from new customers through continuity light or continuity contradictory products, is over. We, the longtime continuity fans, lost. For its first decade in existence, the official continuity developed in fits and starts. It had its great moments like the Thrawn trilogy, its handful of duds like the Crystal Star, and created a foundation for a long-running saga with new characters and what are often now thought of as classic, bedrock-level tales in the Star Wars universe. The return of Lucas to the saga in 1997 for the special editions was a welcome surprise to many fans. Changes to the films were divisive, not just this time, but every other time to come. But barring a restructuring of Greedo and Han's confrontation in Kalman's Cantina, little needed to be tweaked with the developing continuity to keep things feeling on track. The era of the prequel trilogy served to shake things up. 1999 through 2005 brought us a shift to a darker saga, with Del Rey tales like The New Jedi Order, the multimedia approach taken to the Clone Wars era in novels, games, and comics, and new story elements introduced by Lucas requiring the continuity to shift and morph to catch up. All of a sudden, Boba Fett was no longer Jaster Mareel. The Clone Wars weren't Jedi against clones for most of its duration, but alongside clones. Owen Lars was no longer Obi-Wan's biological brother, 
but Anakin's stepbrother. New Sith Lords emerged, and Palpatine received a Sith name. Jedi couldn't marry without special permission in the case of the Syrians. Not all Jedi would vanish upon death. The Death Star's backstory had to be rewritten to account for plans and attack of the clones and a Death Star in construction in Revenge of the Sith. Still, though, even with all the changes the prequels wrought on the saga, the guiding vision for the official continuity, if not always the saga as a whole, seemed to remain unshaken. It would all fit together, even if that meant a torrent of new retcons would be needed to even out the rough spots. It wouldn't be a pristine continuity, but what might have been gaping, bleeding wounds would instead be patched up, scarred, but as with many scars, ones that might fade in prominence over time as we got used to the new state of affairs. Then came 2008 through 2013, years that would give us excellent storytelling within the continuity in cases like the original Legacy series, while simultaneously dealing body blows to the saga through overt actions, inaction, and a seeming willingness to let things slide. We were given delicious cake from time to time, Kenobi, Legacy, Darth Plagueis, but then kicked squarely in the balls upon taking a bite. Enjoy that continuity, fans, but don't get too comfortable. 2008 began the problem. The Clone Wars was an unexpected addition to the saga that necessitated numerous continuity changes, including the creation of an entirely new level of canon, T-Canon. Anakin was knighted sooner now, and had a Padawan we'd never heard of. Asajj Ventress was changed. Characters like even Peel now died before chronologically later appearances. Greedo's origin vanished from continuity. The nature of Mandalore and the Mandalorians during the Clone Wars was fundamentally altered. Maul wasn't quite as dead as we thought. And so on. And so on. In the end, I do believe that after one film and five seasons, the Clone Wars did become true Star Wars. The kind of story that we can enjoy without worrying that we're losing our Star Wars geek cred. The last two seasons in particular were outstanding, barring a dud or two as anomalies. No matter how well it finally turned out, a subject of plenty of debate by itself, there's no question that the series took what was, until that time, the most meticulously planned and intricately interwoven era of Star Wars publishing, the Clone Wars as it existed from 2002 through mid-2008, and shattered it like an Ewoks cartoon fan's hopes and dreams upon viewing its second season. Still, though, in those early days, 2008, 2009, 2010, and so forth, we had reason to believe that hope existed, thin though it may have been. We were told that yes, the saga would fit back together again. We just had to wait until the new cartoon series was over. Then we would not only learn the correct order of episodes, but also how the rest of the saga connected with it, giving us a true timeline of the Clone Wars era. Now? We're told that there are no plans to address the issue. We saw the continuity repeatedly kicked in the family jewels and kept from saying, oh to hell with this, because we had hoped, trusted, and believed that yes, one day there would be answers. It turns out, this was not true. Was it ever true? I do believe that there was every intention when those comments were made to truly address the issue at some point, but things have changed. And for whatever reason they have changed, the end result is the same. The continuity of the Clone Wars is an absolute mess, almost necessitating the ultimate continuity nuclear option, creating a new alternate timeline to make sense of it all. It was not just the Clone Wars that had a weakening effect on the cohesiveness and continuity of the official Star Wars saga, but its influence could certainly be seen as a turning point in how seriously continuity was being taken by the licensees. First, Dark Horse and Del Rey created comics and novels based on the cartoon series. Barring a few references here and there in the novels, little seemed to connect these products to the rest of the official continuity. Fans seemed to have noticed, 
as both the novel line and the regular comic series tie-in died off very quickly, leaving only a handful of digest-sized comics and kiddie magazines to carry on as cartoon-based spin-offs. Then came the growing notion, true from a business standpoint, but poisonous to the notion of continuity, that Star Wars needed to reach out to new audiences. Rather than continuing to produce quality, in-continuity works that highlighted the interconnected nature of the saga and its breadth and scope after many years of development, the buzzword seems to have become accessibility. Need new readers? Then you can't have continuity, or at the very least, you shouldn't rely on it. Flashy new series, film-era characterizations that were left behind long ago by character development in the broader continuity, and new blood became the focus, it seems. It was time to axe ongoing continuity-focused series, like Legacy, Knight Errant, and Invasion, the latter of which was left with a, quote, satisfactory conclusion that seems to have only satisfied the Dark Horse editorial staff. It was time to tell tales set in familiar eras that, due to how cluttered those eras already were, could only be throwaway stories, like in the case of Star Wars Adventures or the Empire in Rebellion novels. Continuity fans, especially those around from the modern continuity's inception, we're starting to feel like we were the odd fans out. We weren't wanted, or at the very least, we were taken for granted, in favor of targeting those who were ignorant of continuity, with the approach taken not being to educate those possible new fans, but to perpetuate that ignorance by insulating them from the need to, God forbid, learn a bit about the decades-old saga they were wading into as new readers. The peak finally arrived this year. 2013 is, I believe, a watershed moment for the saga, but not in a good way. Three key elements reveal this, and they should make fans of the current Star Wars official continuity brace for impact, for the end of what we have come to consider our Star Wars saga would appear to be near. First, this year it saw the launch of Star Wars Volume 2 by Brian Wood. The premiere became a huge event, playing off Wood's non-Star Wars comic credentials. The event was celebrated by more alternate covers and printings of that single comic than for any other Star Wars comic since their inception in 1977 under Marvel Comics. It was supposed to be a series that captured the feel of the classic trilogy and would bring in new readers. It may have done so, though one can argue about how long those new readers might stick around. For longtime readers, the series has been little more than a constantly growing continuity migraine, or, dare I say it, a cancer. But these are not minor continuity issues. These are things that someone definitely would have caught, which, coupled with some of the replies I've received from Leland Chi with regard to continuity issues in the series being something he cannot address right now in conversation, makes me believe that the continuity issues embedded within that series are not accidents. They are intentional. Whether that means that Wood is purposely bucking prior continuity, or that Lucasfilm and Dark Horse are intentionally letting Wood run amok and continuity be damned, that I can't say for certain. But the message of Brian Wood's Star Wars Volume 2 is clear. Continuity no longer matters. In light of Brian Wood's repeated nutshots to continuity, it might seem a bit overblown to compare his series to Martha Wells' recent Empire and Rebellion, Razor's Edge, the novel. To me, though, those two tales epitomize a major element of the current approach to Star Wars publishing, the accessibility factor. Is Razor's Edge a novel that contains frequent continuity errors? No. There are a few minor ones, but it isn't nearly the kind of continuity mess that Brian Wood is creating. Wood's series is a prime example of making stories accessible by allowing them to trample existing continuity. There's a much less insidious version of the accessibility issue, though, which Razor's Edge represents. The utterly throwaway, continuity-inoffensive tale. 
Wells' novel is a story that could have been written in the late 1970s or early 1980s, in that it makes reference to virtually nothing outside of itself and does next to nothing to develop its characters or the galaxy in which they live. It is a full-length, full-priced novel that means nothing to the saga as a whole. As far as readers of that novel are concerned, the rest of the saga might as well not exist beyond the live-action films. Does that mean Razor's Edge and its ilk can fit within existing continuity? Sure! But isn't that almost as bad? A continuity without connections is really no continuity at all. Just a library of standalone novels that never amount to anything at all greater than themselves. Just ask Star Trek fans about their beloved franchise for so many years of novels and comics. The final nail in the modern continuity's coffin, though, will likely be pounded into place by Disney. While fans are right to be excited for new Star Wars films, and I am, we're also right to be fearful for their effect on the current official continuity. Episode 7 has little hope whatsoever of being in keeping with the post-Return of the Jedi saga that has grown in the expanded universe's C canon library for over two decades now. Its very existence, unless it's set long into the post-legacy future, will inevitably shatter what we have come to know beyond the Ewok celebration, its new special edition music, and its 2004 creepy Hayden Christensen as sexual predator Anakin Skywalker ghost. Moreover, Disney's intention to create new origin films for characters like Han Solo and, to a lesser degree, the Rebels cartoon series have the potential to hurl grenades into the pre-A New Hope era as well. We need to face this now, rather than be shocked out of intentional ignorance later. The expanded universe, or at least its official continuity, is on life support, and the pulling of that plug is two years or less away. Look. We were asked to present a State of the Union-style address on the Star Wars Expanded Universe's official continuity that we know and love. That's what I've done here. That continuity has been pushed off the skyscraper and is just flapping its arms, not yet realizing that it's about to hit the ground. On the other hand, we don't know how this continuity deconstruction will take place. We might see the modern official continuity thought of as an alternate universe, still intact yet not focused upon in newer products. We might, as I hope, see Lucasfilm declare the live-action films new and old, and the T-Canon cartoons as their own continuity, leaving the rest of the modern saga as a distinct universe of its own. Granted, that's no longer an easy solution, due to things like the tying in of Fate of the Jedi's villain Abeloth to the ones from the Mortis trilogy in the Clone Wars. We might just see Lucasfilm give up on the idea of a cohesive saga altogether, something I'd be sad to see, but certainly understand under the circumstances. What we as fans must be willing to accept in light of all of this is simple. It's not our decision. Whatever happens, nothing we hardcore official continuity fans do, no internet rants, no petitions, boycotts, or voting with our dollars, given how small we compare to the number of casual fans and general audiences who'll be drawn in droves to new Star Wars films, will change anything that's coming in terms of the modern continuity being dashed aside one way or the other. All we can do is ask ourselves one tough question. Can we accept this? If we cannot, then our Star Wars fandom is over, at least to some extent. To continue as Star Wars fans without requiring intellectual dishonesty or constant angst and frustration, we have to be willing to be open to accepting whatever comes and simply enjoying it as Star Wars, even if it is different. We've done it before, but this will be perhaps the greatest test that continuity-focused Star Wars fans will ever face in their fandom experience. I believe I once, on a podcast at some point, compared how fans must treat the saga to the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. A wise fan recognizes that we do not get to decide the future of the saga. 
We cannot change it, and therefore we will be wise to seek a pathway to accepting it, whether we agree or not. In the end, if 2015's Episode 7 leaves us reading an obituary to the official continuity saga as it was, it will be an obituary buried in the back of a newspaper, boldly proclaiming on its front page that Star Wars is back. The state of the official continuity is, well, imperiled. But who really cares but us? And that's my thoughts. Mark? Ooh, I feel so unprepared. Uh, <laughs> that's part of why I had you go first, though, because, you know, I'm trying to focus on the more positive sides of this. Because, you know, the state of our... You're saying, EU... I'm, not, you're saying I'm not positive? No, no, I, I say it's <laughs> positive when you're, when you're focused more I'm on the... positive for the last two paragraphs, dang it. That's true. That's true. You did. You did. I have some things I was addressing there. I was like, oh, yeah, I like that point. But I, I don't know. I, I think when we stop and we look at the situation here, I think it's easy for a lot of people to go into the naysay aspect of, oh, well, all the money's in the film. So they want to put everything on hold. And, and while I'm sure there is truth to that, I'm the type of person that it's like, you know, don't go out and start naysaying when they haven't given you any details yet, because you might be the one that creates the na not not you specifically, but you know, that mentality may be the type that gets that voice out there where the people in power are like, well, you know, fans, they don't really care anymore. You know, we, we said we put the Sword of the Jedi on hold and the reaction was, yeah. And, and certainly that wasn't the reaction for me. I was, you know, grabbing a pitchfork and starting to light up my torch. But, you know, it's one of those things that if enough people just don't react, then they're going to assume that, oh, they're just all, all they want is those movies. They don't care about the books. You know, and that's the thing that, that irks me. Okay. The EU has always been a separate universe. You know, there's this break that needed to happen that some people talk about. And most of the time it's covered up. Oh, it's all one big cannon. It's all chained to each other. But, you know, you, you grab your essential chronology or your essential guide to chronology or your uh, what's the, the recent one we have? It's not out here. It's in my room. Uh, the Reader's Companion, Essential Reader's Companion. They even talk about it, too, being separate uh, continuities here. You have you have Shelly Shapiro. She even wrote something similar to that about she can't wait for the new canon and the new continuity to come down. And you're just like, wait, what does this mean? That whole approach was from Lucas. You know, Lucas always looked at everything from the EU as a separate universe. And they should have ran with that. To me, it's not that the EU is broken. To me, it's the holocron that's broken. You know, Leland Chi has done a great job of keeping the holocron working, keeping these multiple canon levels. But honestly, what is canon? Canon is supposed to be a fixed state. This is what happened. Okay, Star Wars canon is not a fixed state. Star Wars canon is is fluid. You know, it should not be that way. That I call the Lucas model. You know, Lucas has shown us that, well, whatever comes today, if it came from me, well, then that matters. And then, you know, well, that would be fine and good if, if even Lucas had a canon he was sticking to. There is no vision. Yes, Star Wars had a vision, but what you're getting now and these treatments you're getting from Lucas have no vision compared to when he first started Star Wars. He has in multiple times said that he has no story past episode six. So anything you're getting, these treatments are just what he thought today would be good, which also gets into, well, what has he read and seen? Because that's influencing him because we know if it wasn't influencing him, we'd be watching the Star Wars instead of seeing Star Wars, what we've seen on the films. We wouldn't have saw Han shoot three, four times and then not shoot until the last second. No, Lucas likes to go back and tinker. That's fine. But I have a hard time with the fact that the EU is getting the brunt for that. Okay, if the canon is changing because he's going back and changing things, 
Well, it's time to break the model. And to me, the model is the holocron. The holocron is what's causing the issue. If if we treat the expanded universe as a separate universe that it's supposed to be, stop being beholden to all these changes that come down the way. Oh, hey, what's this? We got Mortis. Well, we better slip it into a book. They didn't need to slip that into a book. It didn't it didn't solve anything. Yeah, it made more mystery. Woo, that was fine and good. But we already have a mystery. What's going on with Clone Wars and the Clone Wars? What happened there? You know, I mean, I've talked about the zombie EU before. This is my big fear about our EU. Okay, what is the zombie EU? Well, that's when they stop writing present day EU books. You know, anything post Crucible, Sword of the Jedi, that's a present day EU book. Something where Luke is about to do something new that you've never read it before in the farthest point. Not going back to Shadows of Mindor and slipping something in in the middle of all these adventures, but the newest farthest point for Luke. Okay, that would be Sword of the Jedi. Granted, he probably isn't going to have a bigger role because they've already done a good job of kind of writing the big three out in Crucible, but Crucible failed miserably when it came to wrapping up the threads of the EU. Okay, we have Ableth out there as a big threat. We're looking for this Mortis dagger. We've got the Ten Knights out on a quest. All that stuff is still wide open. Uh, you want to look at the comics. We've got the Legacy series and what's going on with Hondo Carr and the Mandalorians, which is not at all being referenced at all in the Legacy Volume 2 series running currently right now. Another plot hole. There are plenty of plot holes in the EU that are story opportunities. The story opportunities set in the C-level canon are not going away. Those stories that happened in the C-level canon are not going away. That C-level canon that Nathan was talking about earlier, that is the EU that I talk about so often. That is the story that I care about the most. The films are awesome. But that C-level EU makes the films so much better. That is what created the the universe that I dwell in, okay? I understand that not everybody wants to grab as many books as I've read and read them all to get the, the level of information that's running through my mind. They want to just sit down and watch those films. That's great, but the aspect of marketing it to people that don't know, the newbie shift there, it bothers me. You get, I don't know, you get the, the perceived inaccessibility of the EU. Now we get stories that are having less plots tied to each other, as Nathan said. And, and, and yes, the Star Trek reference is exactly that. That is where we are heading here. The only difference is, is when a character dies in one book, we're not seeing them come up in another one. Oh, wait, no, that's happening on the TV shows. Because Lucas, and this is the part as an EU fan that's always bothered me. Okay, I am an EU fan. I'm a Star Wars fan. I love everything Star Wars. Lucas doesn't. Lucas does not care about the EU as much as the other fans do. You know, and, and I get that. You know, he doesn't have to, but it, it's, it's sad when you're a fan of everything in the saga and the guy that gave it to you sees it all as fan fiction of the other stuff, the stuff that, you know, and that's where, where EU fans get a little irritated because, you know, yeah, he got some proceeds from all this stuff. Yeah. He got some money. You would think he'd have a little more interest more than just coming in and going, you know, we got two Anakins here. You better kill off that solo one in case people might get mistaken, you know? Lucas, come on, you know, you changed the name of Star Wars. It was Star Wars, then it was A New Hope, then it was Episode Four. I mean, you know, we figured it out. I think we'd have figured out which Anakin we were talking about here. I mean, it wasn't that difficult. But that was my issue is, you know, Lucas comes in, he makes these decisions, but he's not attached to the EU. He doesn't care about the EU. He'll pick, he'll choose, he'll take it. That's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, it gets back to that sandbox. You know, I saw a great thing about bullying, and it shows the sandbox. And I'm just like, you know, this is awesome, considering the fact that Lucas, they make all these references to Georgia Sandbox. We're well, in Georgia Sandbox. He can kick over your toys as often as he wants, body, body, body. But again, I get back to that aspect of the Holocron has got so many different levels that there should be no fear for it ending. 
a pause and on hold, I can see that. But letting our fears run rampant in that pause, in that on hold moment, I, that's where I worry. Because if, if Delray thinks enough people don't want Sword of the Jedi, then they're not going to worry about it. I mean, right now, they're possibly scrambling to continue that book in some form or fashion, but they haven't given us much information. Most people, though, would rather go with, well, it's on hold, it's probably going to get canceled. It's a 50-50, people. Is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? You know, look at Imperial Commander 2. That's been put on hold indefinitely. Yeah, odds are it's probably canceled, but they still leave that hope open. Why would you leave that hope open? Because you can't quite definitively say until they flat out come out and say, and they haven't. Even with Imperial Commander 2, they still leave that little slight, like, well, you know, maybe someday. Unlike Blood Oath, where they flat out said, nope, not going to happen. The best you're going to get is we're going to tie some of that into the next book series. Now, that that's that's where I just, I that comment you made earlier about intellectual honesty, that's where I want to take and turn that term on the Del Rey aspect of this, the Lucasfilm aspect. It's like, you guys talk about it being one universe one minute. You talk about it being two universes the other. Which is it? Okay, it's obvious that it's two universes or three or however many. It is sure as heck isn't one. So let's have some of that intellectual honesty now. You know, if, if we're expected as fans to be intellectually honest with how we're looking at the EU, well, then it's, it's about time they start presenting it in a truthful way. I think we have an opportunity here to do that break that I've talked about, where the EU can actually stand on its own, as its own universe, telling its own stories. I am perfectly fine with that. If they want to put in a new son or a new daughter for Luke, or even Han and Leia, and they want to change who the kids are, that's fine. That forces the EU that we've had to stand on its own. Now, part of that standing on the own is us fans. If you want that EU to continue, you need to let them know. I want it to continue. I've been very vocal about it. I want a multiverse. I want them to do it right. I don't want them to screw it up. I don't want to see something so convoluted like Marvel, but I also at the same time want to see something kind of like Marvel's Ultimate Universe. I want something that is clear and it is marked, properly labeled. You know, I want to be able to know if I'm re you know, call the current EU, the C level canon that we have now, call it EU2 if you want. I don't care how you want to call it. You know, I've talked before about a George Lucas signature series. As a fan of the EU, it became clear to me a long time ago probably about 99 or so when Lucas started remaking the trilogies and it was like, okay, this isn't quite lining up. It's like, you know, you, you had to make that moment in your head. Like, okay, which one of these is the one that I really enjoy the most. And you know, some of us are cute because there's stories in there that we really like, but that doesn't mean we have to pick one or the other. And I think that works both ways. I mean, I don't see why you have to have the films. Well, you can only have the films. You can't have the books right now. Why? Disney makes money off of everything. Why wouldn't they make money off of multiple book series? Why wouldn't they just break this off? I mean, think about all the different Mickey Mouse, different things you have out there. That You got Mickey Mouse Band-Aids, you got Mickey Mouse Water Cups. I mean, he's marketed to the nine hells and back. They're going to do the same thing with Star Wars. It's just a matter of time. I, I just I think that because of the, the constant weight, the people's fears are jumping all over this, and it's running rampant through fandom everybody is just you know it started with the whole lucas arts you know oh no word oh wait they're canceling everything and everybody started to panic but at least with that the axe came down so fast that they gave them word where the eu fans like most of us are looking at sword of the jedi as our axe it's like well have we got the official word yet well no they haven't officially axed it so you know we're still in that holding pattern again if you're in the holding pattern there is no official worst case scenario there is no official positive you know, I, I, I have a hard time leaning one way or the other. And when people do, it's like, you know, 
all we're doing is creating a precedence. And honestly, negativity at this point is not the precedence I think we should be setting. You know, we need to be positive about it. You know, there are plenty of story opportunities in the EU. There are plenty of ways for us to work this out. Uh, you know, do we need to make a D-level canon where everything that comes out after this is all its own continuity? You know, I really truly come down to that point where it's it's the holocron that's broken. We need to, to stop looking at it as C-level, D-level, all this kind of stuff and come down with new definitions. We have our our canon levels. We have our tiers. Not everybody even knows what the tiers are. What are the tiers? That's Lucas's model. Lucas looked at it as the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. He was the father. Everything from Lucasfilm was the son. And everything from fans was the Holy Ghost. Okay, Lucas wasn't doing the holocron. He wasn't subscribing to that at all. He was looking at his three different universes. And yet the holocron, you know, then we have that T-level canon that come in that really made people scratch their heads. But again, the T-level canon only applied in the holocron. The holocron is broken, folks. Leland has given up for all intents and purposes. At least that's how it seems. I mean, I know it's probably not the case, but he's in a tight spot. He's always been in a tight spot. Thinking back to when the forums, the official Star Wars report, Star Wars report, the official StarWars.com forums were about, you know, he had his little threads there and he was working on these things and people wanted to know, you know, Leland, what are you doing? Why aren't you fixing this? We need a team. And Leland was it. He was as good as you got for, for the guy going in and going, you know, no, this ain't right. And I think that that's the one thing that's missing when you've got a universe that, is, that has grown this big, that Lucas allowed to get this big. You need to have someone to say, you know, you let it grow. This is what you have now. I get it's not your universe anymore. But again, unless you want to split them up officially, you need to represent the fact that these stories have already been told. We don't need to see Evan Pell die again. He's already died. Quit writing stories over and over and over again. That is what happened with Star Trek. Oh, the fifth crewman over here, he died. Oh, wait, he's back in the next books. Oh, well, that last author didn't read that last book. I don't want that. That is not what's fun about Star Wars books. When I read my Star Wars books, I know that one event is going to be picked up again in the next one. Granted, how much or little that they do shifts from writer to writer, but that has always been the touchstone of the EU, that the story continues to progress. When we get books that are, as you say, Nathan, continuity light or continuity free, I get worried because those are the type of stories that honestly bore me to tears. I want to know that there's a connection here. I want to know that we're building up. I When I watch the Clone Wars TV show, some of the best villains were the one and dones. Why did I hate them? Because they were one and dones. It was a wasted potential opportunity. When you write these stories and, and you have nothing connecting, that's where you lose so much opportunity. New Jedi Order is one of my favorite series. Why? Because they were planning the heck out of that thing. The ending of it, you could tell that they really had no exit strategy. That's something that Delray needs to work on. Planning good series, they got that down. It's the exit strategies, how they wrap up these stories. That they could work on. That's where I get this back and forth between the EU and, and the movie only fans. You know, you'll get these aspects of books and stuff that were changed and then it falls flat. And then you got the movie only fan going, well, this book sucks because they just don't do it. It's like, well, half the time these books were trying so hard to tie in to the new changes that came down the road that they created these opportunities for these heirs. Now, if we clearly define what we're expecting out of the EU, out of the new films, and if we are going a separate generation here and going with a whole new continuity, the new continuities EU. If these are clearly defined, I see no reason why we can't have a multiverse that functions. And that's the key word here, folks, functions. We need one that actually works, not one that does what Marvel does with its, with its mainline stuff where you've got superior Spider-Man doing five different comics all at the same time, and yet they're all supposed to be in the same universe. Those don't work. When you have a clear cut, okay, this is a universe, these stories are happening, 
And then over here, we've got this one where they're happening. Those work. It's all about that clarity. Right now, we do not have clarity. That is the hard part about our state of the EU right now. Without those definitive answers, the fans are going wild. And again, I get back to that. I'm going to try to look at it as the glass is half full. Because otherwise, we're just dooming the EU ourselves. Very well said. Very well said. I'm not sure that I would argue that the that the, the holocron is broken. It, more so that... I mean, that's just not what the, the holocron was supposed to be. You know what I mean? I mean, it's... We take it as this literal... You know, this is what delineates what tracking, is... Right? And, I mean, isn't that right? It's it, Now, at this point, we're just talking like an internal tracking system. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of what the, the entire purpose was. Remember, at, at the beginning of the EU, and I'm actually talking about this, or I will be because I'm recording it tonight, uh, in the first 1990s-based From the Star Wars Library episode on YouTube, um, you know, before Leland Chi gets brought in, before they create the Holocron Continuity Database, which is just a database, folks, I've seen stuff from it. Um, I've been provided with stuff from it when working on the Atlas and such. It's a it's a database. You can export it as freaking Excel files. Um, before that, it was, here's a list of stories. These are in, these are out. And then it became sort of more of a more delineated thing where it's not so much that stories are gone or stories are in, but this element is, this element isn't. This element was something George Lucas came up with, so we need to try to keep it. This is something C canon. This is something from the TV show. This is something that wasn't meant to be canon. But in a sense... Because we kept getting so many different continuity names or different contradictory names for continuity, um, quasi canon versus canon, canon with a capital C, canon with a lowercase c, um, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh, uh, there's the film game. There's the official continuity. There's apocrypha. Um, we tried to figure it out for ourselves. Essentially, we knew that there had to be some kind of official continuity, which is what I still call it on the Star Wars timeline goal: official continuity, capital O, capital C. There was a the stuff that's not meant to fit. For a while, they were calling it Infinities and saying they had to have a label on it, but not everything that was supposed to be out had a label on it. So Infinities disappeared. They started calling it in canon, which is kind of a, a more clearly delineated thing. Uh, and then it was, well, what takes precedent over that? Well, there's the films. There's George Lucas's vision. Well, George Lucas's vision has multiple versions of it. Even if we're just talking about the films at the core, I mean, even early on, you could tell, well, there's a delineation even within that. That's why on my timeline goal, you've got the different G canon timelines, right? Because, yeah, there's the films. But now there's multiple versions, right? There's the uh, heck for uh, let's let's go back and do something here very quickly that goes back to my from the Star Wars home video library kind of thing here. Okay, as I as I pop it open, there was a New Hope in theaters. Okay, then there was a New Hope with the subtitle on it in theaters, and that version showed up uh, without uh, C-3PO's line uh, because it was a stereo track that. You know, in the theaters, the mono track had C-3PO's line about the tractor beams, and in stereo it didn't. That was released on uh, VHS in 1982, and then in 1983. In 1984, they remixed it and added C-3PO's line back in. That became a second home video version of A New Hope in 84 that gets re-released in 86, 87, uh, 90, 92, and then in 92 we also get a widescreen edition Finally, we get a definitive laser disc collection that then goes in and tweaks the audio that shows up as a THX remastered editions in 1995 on VHS, another new version. 97 gives us a special editions that show up on VHS in 97 and 2000. In 2004, we get the DVD version of the films. In 2005, we see them come out again. 6, 8, 
we see them out yet again. 2011, it's the Blu-ray editions. Now in 2013, Blu-ray editions, only now on Blu-ray and on DVD, with that same copy transferred over. And that's just the film version of the freaking story, because then you've got the kids' books, You've got the novelization that they always said was way up there because it was based on Lucas's own works. But if you look at the novelizations, because of changes to things between production and release of the films, the novelizations were always thought of as one step down from the films. And every version of the films was one step down from whatever Lucas called the newest version that is his supposed definitive vision, right? Those rocks in front of R2-D2 in the Blu-rays were always meant to be there. Uh, as for a reverse TARDIS thing, the doors to Jabba's palace were always meant to be larger on the outside than they were on the inside, as we see on the Blu-rays and such. Um, but then underneath all that, what do you have? The radio dramas. Well, the radio dramas are based on Lucas's definitive vision, because it's based on the films. Oh yeah, really? Okay. But sometimes characters say things in a different way, so which is the canonical quote? Is it from the films? Well, of course it's from the films and not from the radio dramas. Oh, so the radio dramas must be lower as well, and so on, and so on. There was all this delineation. We tried to figure out what was real, and you wind up with something like my canon kingdom, as I tried to describe it at one point. The idea of we've got this giant kingdom with this huge tower in the center of it, uh, and the kingdom itself, exp uh, you basically at this point, I guess you would say, you have sort of a big ground-level floor of this tower, which houses sort of all the extended members of the royal family. And then that building then kind of, after that first floor, it is just a tower with multiple levels to it going all the way up, where at the very top, that is where the king lives. Uh, and the king has lived on different st levels of the tower as it was being built taller and taller. Outside of that tower and its, its larger base, you've got this big uh, kingdom around it of all kinds of like little dwellings and such and whatnot. And then there's a huge wall that protects all of those kingdoms inside the wall, almost like uh, the capital city in Game of Thrones. And outside of that, other people scattered around there that are still under the protection of that king. And then way on the outskirts, you have your odd little groups out there that aren't even from the same culture. Essentially, that's the way we had to try to break it down. That there's the official continuity. One continuity, everything inside that wall. And right outside the wall, the stuff that's still protected by the king, and yet not inside the hole, not inside the wall... Well, that's the in-canon stuff. That's the non-continuity stuff, but is legally licensed, so it's okay. Outside, those little people on the outskirts, not even from the same culture, that's your fanon, your fan canon, your, your fan productions and whatnot, the audio dramas, the fan fiction, all that kind of stuff. Inside your compound, inside the wall, that's all one whole. That's all the continuity, but wait, it's ruled by something. It's ruled by Lucas and his vision, the royal family, so to speak. The bottom floor of that tower, the bottom floor of that weird-looking castle, which, now that I think about it, is probably kind of phallic-looking, the way I described it. The bottom floor, that's T-Cannon, right? Extended members of the royal family. Royal blood, but it's a little thinner than from him and his direct descendants. And then on up the tower you go. The original version of the films, or you could say, I guess, the radio dramas and the novelizations, then the original version of the films, then the special editions, then 2004, then 2011 versions of all these different films as it goes up and up and up and up, and Lucas ruling at the top. We had to come up with definitions like this because we weren't being given clear definitions. We weren't being told, this is one continuity, this is the continuity of just the films, Lucas looks at it this way, everybody else looks at it this way. We got hints of that, but that was all we ever got. And when, when Leland Chi came in, he had to make use of all these different uh, different ways of looking at things to come up with designations for how real things were, not for us. That's why the holocron is not like Wikipedia and a publicly accessible thing.
it was for them. It was so you didn't have a novelist coming in and writing a C-canon level novel that's meant to fit within the continuity, referencing events from an in-canon book, unless you really wanted to bring those events into the continuity. It was why you didn't have novelists generally coming in and changing something Lucas had created, except in a few rare instances where it was allowed, like early on bringing Boba Fett back. We haven't been told a different way to look at this, so instead we latch on to the designations that the holocron uses. Um, and it's like Mark said, I, I don't think that it's broken, but I do think that our way of looking at it is broken because we look at it in that way for lack of any other way to look at it. I mean, it'd be, I mean, it's, it's, you know, honey, uh, I walked in and found you sitting at the edge of a bed with another man laying half naked in the bed. Now, what you may not know is this was your neighbor and he almost died outside by falling while trying to fix the roof and, your wife, who happens to have some medical experience, brought them in and tried to nurse them back to help, and you were actually waiting for doctors to show up so he can be safely taken to be looked over. There was nothing hinky about it, but all you did was walk in and see him the way it was, and now that is what's latched into your mind. In your mind, she has committed infidelity. He must die. But you're not seeing reality. You're seeing the reality that was presented to you. Um... I don't know how we fix this without Lucasfilm coming out and saying there are multiple continuities exactly like you were saying. I think your approach is what we need. But I don't know if Lucasfilm and Disney in particular are going to be willing to say that. Um, it takes a lot for a sci-fi continuity to say, hey, there are multiple timelines after they've already said there's only one. It's easier to come in and never say things are meant to fit together and say, well, there's this timeline and this one. I mean, Transformers. Transformers doesn't come in and say, oh, you know those movies? Those are a different continuity than Generation 1 cartoons. No kidding. We can <laughs> tell. We can see that. You know, Highlander, there's this continuity, there's that one. Oh, wow. The second movie doesn't fit with the other ones. Ding, 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 ding. Second movie with its own continuity. We figure it out. That's what sci-fi fans do. But if you delineate it for us in some way, we're going to figure that your way of delineating is the way we should look at it. Tell us how we should see it. Give us the perspective that you want us to take, and we'll take it. We'll accept it, but don't make it ambiguous and not expect us to latch on to something that you've said before, even if it's not the way we should look at it, because we're looking for answers. Give us something, we'll grab it. And if it's not what we should be grabbing, well, too bad. It's what we grabbed onto anyway. It's the do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Don't tell us not to smoke if you're a parent who smokes three packs a day. Unless you can show us instead, look at my black lungs. Yeah, then we'll take the message. Well, see, I remember when Gendy's Clone Wars series came out, you know, Lucas is a big fan of Samurai Jack, so we're going to do it in that style. Lucas this and Lucas that. And all of a sudden it was getting awards, and Lucas is getting awards for his, his award-winning Clone Wars. And then, boom, here comes The Clone Wars, also by George Lucas. And yet... The one is treated like, hey, this level, you know, granted, they, they did create the T-level canon after that, but that that's where that T-level canon fell in that second tier of G canon. And it's like the Gindy series, suddenly Lucas working on it had nothing to do with anything. I was like, you'd have never thought he even touched the project. And that well, perplexed you, me you, as well. Do you think that's possibly, though, I got to say, having just gone back and rewatched Ewoks um, and having us just recorded uh, for uh, Galaxy of Toys about the holiday special. You think maybe part of why they made T-Cannon only affect the Clone Wars and anything new being created was so that it couldn't be retroactively attached to 
those earlier series and especially the holiday special. Part of me just just thinks they were just covering their butts by not doing that. That that may be the case. I mean, that that, that to me gets back to that whole aspect of, you know, Canon's supposed to be what came first. And, you know, if Lucas himself isn't going to attach himself to a project long enough to accept it, it's like, what's going on? You know, I, I, I just that's the thing that irks me the most. I mean, I would like to know that the people that are doing it want the stuff to all line up. Uh, you know, when I when I go back and I think about the original, I just got done watching the despecialized version of, of A New Hope not too long ago. Uh, my roommate, he actually prefers the despecialized to any anything else. Uh, so I, I occasionally, you know, I get to watch these older ones that he's got. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching again. I'm watching Han just blow Greedo away. And, and again, I get back to that aspect of it fundamentally changed Han. He went from being a renegade who had a serious character growth moment, a guy who would just blast you out of the seat and just toss some credits and walk away from the problem, to at the end, he turns around and, and leaves the money and his own personal issues behind and goes back and does the right thing. That was a huge character growth moment. Now you go and you change it. Now Han's just, you know, now he's just barely saving himself, fighting and, and doing the uh, protected thing. I, I was just trying to defend myself. Now Han's just doing the right thing. Now when he gets to the end, he does the right thing anyway. Th nothing has changed. There's no character growth for there. He was already a scoundrel with a heart of gold. He was never a renegade. A renegade would have just shot Greedo right out of the chair. Yeah, I bet you have. Blam! I mean, oh, that was just such a gratifying moment. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's part of one of the reasons why I like Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly so much. I mean, that character was the Han Solo that we got when the first Star Wars film came out. And any other franchise, any other franchise, Star Wars would have been the canon. Not A New Hope, but Star Wars. But again, Lucas bought the franchise. He was able to make himself his god and do what he wanted. And there was no one there to say, hey, no, wait, slow down. And I really, truly think that now that Disney owns it, they need someone like that. They need someone like Leland Chi that has the info, that knows what's going on with all these multiple levels of stories, and goes, whoa, 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 whoa slow down, slow down. Before we have Evan Pell show up and, and knock this story over here into a, a who-knows-what category, can we use a different character? Can we bring in somebody new? They need somebody to slow things down, and I think that is the key, is that we haven't had that for so long that people are just assuming we're not going to have it going forward. I really hope Disney in that regard does something there because again, going back to the star Wars.com forum days, people have been clamoring and screaming for a continuity team to say, Hey, what in the heck this can't happen. And again, it gets back to that accessibility aspect, you know, that, that they're so worried about all these stories out there. Well, I can tell you this Del Rey, there are fans out there that have read most, if not all of your books. So if they're out there, there's gotta be somebody out there that's willing to be put on your payroll to tell you these things. They'd be more than happy to do it, I'm sure. So, oh my God, pay me more than they pay me to teach and I'll do it. I know, that's what I mean. It's, it, it just doesn't seem like it's that hard to find a solution to this problem. I mean, the current system is broke. I, I, I don't think it, it's a joke or a mistake to say that. I, I think it's obvious to anyone who knows anything about the expanded universe and how the books and the comics work in relation to the films. Oh. That is one of the hardest things to discuss to somebody who does not know about Star Wars fandom. When you try to tell them about how the story changes once you get into the books, I've had people that are like, well, what books did Lucas write? Sorry. Well, no, no, no. Which ones come from his ideas? Sorry. None. <laughs> yeah, None. he didn't That's care. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's funny to say that because we do get a lot of people saying, and this is something I'm going to bring up on, in that same episode of from the Star Wars Library, so I'm going to get a chance to 
uh, record it later, the idea that, you know, people thought at one point that the novelizations of the, the first thrill, well, the classic trilogy films were Lucas's novelizations, mainly because of Alan Dean Foster ghostwriting under Lucas's name for the first one. Um, but then you've also got people thinking when the prequels came out that they were based on novels George Lucas had written before. They just couldn't find them. And you've got people saying, thanks to uh, the way that the, the Thrawn trilogy was first uh, uh, touted as the official continuation, that there were some people saying, well, these are based on Lucas's ideas, right? There's a lot of, of confusion. Though I would argue that your idea of that we need to have somebody there or some group there to say, here's the continuity stuff. Maybe this isn't such a good idea comes down to a language issue, a language barrier, honestly. Because um, I think that that for a lot of people, when faced with people who are in extreme authority, people who have made a giant mark on the pop culture, people like Lucas, um, there's sort of an awe factor and such um, to the point where, and this I see this happen at, at the place where I work, at the school where I teach. There are sometimes people who are unwilling to go up to the person who is in charge, who is making the big decisions, and say no. There's a language barrier. The word no drops out of their vocabulary. Not no, screw you, I'm going up against authority just because I don't want to, but to say no and have a better solution in mind. Even if the person in authority says, no, I'm not going with what you're saying, to be able to say, no, I don't think this is right, and here's another solution, shows you care. And generally, the person in authority isn't going to say, how dare you say no, unless they're Hitler or someone. Usually, they're going to appreciate that and say, thank you for your input, even if they go with something different. And I think that's something that has been missing. We've talked before about the idea that during The Phantom Menace, there are people who have said that essentially uh, George Lucas needed someone to act as the man to slam on the brakes, and Rick McCollum wasn't. Instead, he was going, go, 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 George, and allowing him to head toward the brick wall with things like the goofiness of Jar Jar Binks. Um, it's not that someone needs to tell Lucas, or in this case, tell Disney to rein it in. It's just, it'd be, you know, maybe it'd be nice to have someone, um, and this goes back to, to Leland Chi, and it's someone to say, hey, this is the way things have been. Because that's what Dave Filoni talked about, was sometimes he would bring up things from the EU when talking to Lucas as a way of, hey, well, you want to do this? Well, here's something that already exists in the EU. Here's that. What people don't realize is Leland Chi is not looking over the shoulder of every person who writes a Star Wars book. He's not looking over the shoulder of everybody who's writing a Star Wars comic. He's not an editor. He's, his job is not to read everything before it comes out. They go to him with questions. They go to him asking for ideas or asking for access to certain information so that they can use that within their books. Again, he's not an editor. So it's one of these things that... You know, he's not going to be standing in every meeting saying, hey, wait, the EU did this. Maybe you could do it this way. But maybe that's what we need. Maybe what we need is sort of a, a cross between the position that Leland Chi has and someone like a Dave Filoni has, someone whose job it is to bring that up. But I would imagine that'd be a pretty thankless job because this would be someone who is going to be blamed anytime something doesn't fit, kind of like yeah. what Leland Chi gets, but mm -hmm. also be someone who... In a sense, I, I'm not sure would be even appreciated necessarily always in the room because it almost always be the person who's known as the naysayer rather than the one who's there promoting new ideas because their job would fundamentally be to compare things going on now to old ideas, not necessarily to add new ideas into the mix. They'd be the downer in the room. Um, but surely there's some kind of middle ground that could be used. And you know, it had even if Leland gets like a team of editors that, that bring things to him, you know, I mean, I, there's so much potential. And when you think about how big fandom is 
it, it, and by big in this regard, I mean even the most casual person that likes Star Wars and occasionally grabs a book. You know, I mean, all these people could find themselves in the running of a position like that. I mean, you know, you you are a, a perfect example. You, uh, Eddie, uh, off of the internet, I can't remember Eddie's last name, Van Horn. Uh, it was Eddie Vanderheiden. Van Horn is Luke Van Horn who submits stuff and, and is a big continuity guy himself. Yeah, yeah. All, all three of you guys, boom, right there off the top of my head. Just off of fandom people that I have seen doing this kind of stuff through years of, of going to forums and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I would throw my name in there, but honestly, uh, Lucas has taught me that I'm supposed to unlearn everything I read. And pretty much within four days of reading a book, I can only remember the main plot points. So, I mean, and, and that's part of my issue. It's like I've gotten so much to the point of just like purging things that it's hard to even sit back and go, you know, what is the canon of Star Wars anymore? And, and that's where I say the, the system is broken, not the EU itself, just the system of how we're perceiving it. Which perhaps makes a good place to end this, because we're certainly not going to solve this within the span of an episode. Though It would be awesome if we could be like, hey, Lucas, here you go. Here's a 10-page proposal. We know how to fix it. Um, <laughs> let's take a look now. We've talked about the new show. We've talked about our state of the EU uh, thoughts at present and elaborated, gone on. Uh, expanded upon. I believe the, the technical term is babbled a little bit. Um, let's take a look at what some of the listeners out there have had to say uh, as we put out the call for thoughts about this episode. Uh, we've got emails uh, from a mixture of folks going back as far as, I want to say, August or so um, to bring in here. So, uh, Mark, where do we want to start with these? Well, the first ones I've got up here were a couple off of our Facebook page. You know, we threw up some comments up there, said, hey, we're having the 100th episode. If you guys have anything you want to say, go ahead and leave a comment, send an email. Uh, so these were some of the comments from Facebook. Uh, one is uh, Corey Dacey. He writes, uh, Nathan P. Butler and Mark Erleman are my guiltiest of pleasures. Two Star Wars guys in my age group gossiping about the best thing ever invented. I rethought possibilities when Mark talked to Jason being something more. It brought a new depth to the Vong War and to the fall of Cadus. Jason thought he was more too. The timeline gold is my go-to to decide my next read. Ten novels left and it's all in my brain. This is also a big help. There so much is missing when I don't or can't afford the comic lines. Which I have to agree, Nathan. Uh, one of the first things you know I ever did was uh, download your timeline gold. And that was you know just a resource that every Star Wars fan should at least have on their computer. If they're not checking it at least like every month. Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, if you like things like the Essential Readers Companion and stuff like that, Nathan has gone for years and collected all this kind of stuff, put it in a format that it it, it just blow your mind. I mean, I remember the first time I got it, it was back in uh, maybe 2002. Uh, and I just remember being blown away by the size of the file then. <laughs> you think how far you've come now. It's like, whoa. So, yeah, and he continues with thanks for the eargasms, fellas. Corey. Well, my thanks to both of you, I guess, as, as far as that goes. Yeah, I, I I put that thing together mainly with the idea being of helping myself keep track of things, and it's just grown to the point where now I'm, I'm glad it can help a lot of other people out there. Uh, so thank you very much for, uh, for making use of it as the go-to item, both of you guys. Now, we also have one here from Kenny Crawley, Jr. He goes, hello, Nathan Mark. First off, congratulations on the 100th episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Ken. My question for you guys is how would you guys rank the novels from the six films plus the Clone War movie novel? See, I think they're good Star Wars EU novels and think they have more of an EU feel to them than most of the current EU stories. Your thoughts, gentlemen? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work and may the force be with you always. Sincerely, longtime listener Kenny Crawley Jr. from Ohio. 
Oh god, they're terrible! No, uh, they're not horrible. Um, but I, I have a thing against most of the Star Wars novelizations because they always sound wrong when I'm reading them now that I'm so inured to the way that they're supposed to be heard, supposedly, uh, thanks to the films. But I would say um, number one has to be the Revenge of the Sith novelization because that one added so much to my enjoyment of Revenge of the Sith. That mm-hmm. one absolutely nailed it. Um, I would say that number two is the Clone Wars uh, film novelization by Karen Travis also added to the experience for me, although uh, it did have some contradictions with the film and, and whatnot. But beyond that, uh, it did add to the experience and the feeling of the clones and whatnot. But after that, the film novelizations are extremely weak, in my opinion. After that, I would have to do the prequel ones, if only because I feel like there's hardly anything added in the classic trilogy ones. So I guess uh, we then go to... Probably on equal footing, uh, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I guess probably Attack of the Clones first, because it, it gave us Anakin's birthday, basically. Um, it gave us a, essentially a scene a month before the film in which we see Shmi talking about uh, celebrating Anakin's birthday. And by doing that, gave us a reason why Anakin would somehow be nine in Phantom Menace, and yet ten, or excuse me, yet twenty, ten years later in Attack of the Clones, when it should be 11 unless his birth date is somehow between the Phantom Menace time of year and the Attack of the Clones time of year. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, something I actually was able to confirm much, much, much later when I got an a, a, a Excel file from the Holocron sent to me with the character ages in it, which was kind of cool. Um, but then I guess after that, it would have to be Phantom Menace because there are some added scenes, mostly cut scenes with Anakin, and then after that, they go essentially, I guess, just in reverse order uh, of time. Uh, Return of the Jedi was much more readable than Empire Strikes Back, which was much more readable and much closer to the film, of course, because of, of the editing process and the time and production, than uh, Alan Dean Foster's A New Hope. So for me, it's Revenge of the Sith, Clone Wars, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace, uh, Jedi Empire, A New Hope. So outside of the Clone Wars film, not be film novelization not being quite as good for me as Revenge of the Sith. It's literally a trek backwards in time. They've gotten better as they've gone over. It's funny because uh, our our first two are dead on. I I too would rank Revenge of the Sith as my top favorite. Uh, the way uh, Sidious is described throughout that book is so much better than what we see in the film. Uh, when we watch Mace and the other three masters go and confront Sidious, that whole scene. That whole scene owns in the book. I mean, just the way Palpatine played not only the Jedi, but then he later turned that scene. He had recorded audio of the scene, and he used that audio against the Jedi in the Senate. And the way he went about it, uh, you know, he's in the middle of recording, and he's talking about religious freedoms and things like that. And then he ignites his lightsaber and stabs it down through the recording device, and he's like, and that'll be enough of that. And then he goes on to the killing spree. Oh, just a classic moment. Uh, I just that book was so far and above everything that I expected. I did watch it before or I read it before I watched the movie and it did not taint the movie at all. It added so much for me for the movie. Um, you know, I love the fact that the way they described that the Clone Wars were the perfect Jedi trap. Uh, they talked about Anakin and Obi-Wan being brothers and what that meant to the galaxy at large. Uh, so when you get to that end part, you were my brother, Anakin. Oh, man, that just. Uh, tears you up and then the padawan scenes all of it uh, the, the seduction of anakin the luring of anakin over 
everything about that was just so much more gratifying in that book. Uh, and again, my second one is right on there with you. Uh, Karen Travis's novelization of the Clone Wars. One of my favorite little tidbits, in fact, is a lot of people seem to forget that Karen Travis was the one that they selected to make the novelization of that book. And that book was never produced in the United States in a paperback, which is, again, another one of those things like, huh, hmm, were you just trying to kick her out? Like, <laughs> I don't know, because that just you will like never get over that. I won't. No, I, I went out and I still to this day. I did. I went to the UK site. I bought the paperback from the UK. So I have it on my bookshelf. But the reason why I love that book so much is Karen does what Karen does best. She gets in the minds of the clones. This is Rex's story in the book. You go and watch the film after reading this book or vice versa. And you will notice that Rex's story in the film is almost non-existent. When you're reading the book, the sacrifices that the 501st make that Rex has his men make to make sure that that Hutlet gets back is huge. I think they're down to like five or seven guys out of the whole 501st that was on that planet when it was all said and done. That they held out that and, and Rex thought they were all going to die. Like it, the book just sets such a brutal tale for the 501st and for Rex in particular. And I loved it. And I was actually I was kind of devastated that it was all cut out uh, and, and kind of even, you know, going back to cut out things that that was one of the downsides of episode three was that Padme's story was completely cut out of the film. When you read the book, there was so much more about what was going on with her, what was going on with the beginning of the rebellion, what's going on with the cause of her being part of that rebellion, causing mistrust between Anakin and her and Palpatine and her and Palpatine and him and Obi-Wan and Palpatine and him and her. I mean, there were so many angles in that, too. Uh, those, those two books were easily my favorite ones. From there, it gets a little difficult because the original trilogy books, I don't have any of the copies of the newer kids version where they went back and fixed a lot of things. So I have a hard time when I read those with Yoda being blue. You would think by now that they'd have more versions of those books out there where they've corrected that Yoda's not blue, but in the book you're reading it and Yoda's blue little things like that. Still, like, like you said, it, it's, it's harder to put them higher up because of those things. But at the same time, there was also those little, little tidbits of insight. Uh, for me, I think I would have to say my next favorite after after the, the Clone Wars would definitely be Empire Strikes Back, mainly because of the Yoda aspect. Granted, he was blue. I can look over that. But what he was saying and stuff like that, like, I don't know. It got me thinking about flow walking before flow walking even happened. You know, when Yoda starts talking about the past and the future and all these things, really cool concepts. You know, from there, though, I, I think I would have to do like you did. I, I would have to say episode two, then episode one. And then I, I, I don't know. I think I would have to put revenge or uh, return of the jedi is my last i think a new hope would have to go before that one uh and mainly because when that one came out like i don't know it, it still when i read it it has that that feel of when i first sat down and watched the very first time a new hope you know that that sense of mystery to it where it's like there wasn't much to it yet at the same time you were just like what next what next and the book kind of captured that so I don't know. That would, that would be the route I'd go with that. And I do remember though, you know, you were mentioning uh, Alan Dean Foster. I remember back in the day, I thought Alan D. Foster was the pen name for Lucas. <laughs> I thought Lucas was was pretending to be this Alan D. Foster guy. That was that was where the whole, oh, if you're reading an Alan Dean Foster book, oh, it's a George Lucas book. Oh, boy, was I disappointed when I found out that wasn't the case. You know, and that gets back to that crux of being the EU fan. You know, you want Lucas to like the stories you're doing. You want him to add to those stories. But it's not his story. Our next email, it uh, comes from Jason Hunt, uh, our 
good friend and companion co-host of the Star Wars Report podcast network, the Wampus Layer podcast. Uh, and Jason writes, hey, Mark and Nathan, I have a theory rattling around in my head for a couple months now that I wanted your all take on it. I may have an in-universe explanation for why we have the Hayden Christensen Anakin ghost rather than the Sebastian Shaw Anakin ghost. I believe I recall you talking about how it was now been decided that Anakin received help from Obi-Wan and Yoda to become a Force ghost. If that is the case, and since neither of the two Jedi were present on the second Death Star the last time Obi-Wan and Yoda saw Anakin as a Jedi, was as a young man. Perhaps they could have relied on their memory of him as a Jedi to help transform him into the Force Ghost. If you have any information on how one becomes a Force Ghost, I would be very interested to hear that. If you could shed any light on whether my theory holds any weight, I would greatly appreciate that. Keep up the great work, Jason Hunt. I'm going to say I have no idea. I think it was just another of those things that Lucas did to tie the film trilogies together, and I'm not sure that we will ever hear a legitimate explanation. Uh, closest I've ever heard was the idea that that was the last time he was a true Jedi, so that is why he appears in the Force like that. Unless it's maybe the idea that someone appears in the Force as their idealized self, and maybe Yoda and Obi-Wan sort of were at peace with who they were, and here's, you know, Anakin not at peace except back when, you know, he was more man than machine. Although, uh, I do like the idea that perhaps it's based on something... Uh, late in Anakin's time as he's falling to the dark side and maybe it was sort of the last time they saw that because maybe, I mean, I said it in my little State of the EU thing. Um, Anakin looks like a sexual predator when we see him giving that look at the end of Return of the Jedi. I mean, Anakin, as Hayden Christensen there, uh, kind of looks like he should be on Dateline NBC with Chris Hansen coming out of the closet saying, so, what are you doing here? Who are those condoms for? Um, so I would say perhaps... Obi-Wan was imagining him killing younglings. The idea of, you know, Master Skywalker, what do we do? Die. So maybe that's what he was seeing. It's just a, a child predator in a slightly different way that he was envisioning. Beyond that, no friggin' clue. Yeah, I think the only thing we really get in that is the biographies. Uh, they kind of go into that detail where... Obi-Wan tells Anakin, you know, you got to come with me now. They, they literally give him like a split second, like, hey, if you don't come, you're gone. And, you know, he comes. But, yeah, I, I remember hearing the similar that, you know, that was when a Anakin was the last time he was good. But that also throws into contrast that the last time Anakin was actually good was as Darth Vader in the armor when he picked up Palpatine and threw him over the edge. And therefore, that doesn't make sense because the first time he was bad was as young Anakin as Darth Vader without the armor. So that kind of doesn't really make sense either. Uh, you know, I, I think Jason's actually onto something here. I mean, that, that could be a, a simple solution right there. And was like, eh, you know, for them, I'm sure that's all they did think about was what he looked like back then. You know, they would have no references to what he looked like as he got older because he was in the suit. That actually makes a better logical explanation than anything else I've ever heard. Though may I say that while I say that I and we have no clue I don't think Lucas did either. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a safe assumption. Now, our next one is a response to our Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral coverage. Uh, this is from Stephen Howard. Uh, many of you may know him from Rocco Depot. He's also a uh, Skuldron from the EU Cantina Forum. it was a response to Lost Tribe of the Sith? Yeah, our Spiral coverage way wow. back. Wow, I don't have this one sitting here. I just, I only see his response from... Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin. Yeah, well, I think that this one uh, came through on Facebook as well. Uh, oh, cool. He writes, 
Nice episode. Great discussion, as always. Just a note about the uh, Sky Tyri species. John Jackson Miller uses the Ultimate Alien Anthology a lot when picking species. He's even mentioned using it as a checklist. So the appearance of their species is probably more due to that than him going through all the old Marvel comics. Look forward to the next episode. Keep up the good work. Steven. And I have to admit, you know, that, that is one of the things I like that John Jackson does. He brings in all these really cool little elements and the fact that, you know, he is paying attention to these anthologies and stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're great places to find little obscure off the cuff bits of information. You know, I, I mentioned uh, the role playing games. I got a whole bunch of them over here on my right hand side. And I just, I love opening them up and just reading about different pieces of equipment that people could put on and stuff. I mean, it's just, you wouldn't get it anywhere else. Yeah, and we should probably know here, I mean, this is something that, and now another thing to bring up in from the Star Wars library, um, even when Zahn was putting together the Thrawn trilogy, you know, one of the things that they did was they sent him a whole bunch of West End Games RPG materials and said you can use this as a reference, and apparently, at least according to a recent uh, interview in Star Wars Insider, he was somewhat reluctant at first until he realized the wealth of information that was there and how much he wouldn't have to create for himself because it was already there in the universe. Um, it's always good to see a writer who doesn't need to create a new species or a new character or a new planet, go and use one that already exists and add to uh, the growing layers of continuity that are out there, or are out there for the time being, perhaps. Now we have three or four here kind of compressed together from uh, Sandro George, who says, First, hello guys, thank you for using my letter in podcast number 84. I was so surprised when I heard my name and completely geeked out. Well, this letter's about wishful thinking. When I heard that there was going to be new Star Wars movies, my first reaction, like every other fan, was of complete joy and excitement. Then I started thinking of what would the story be? No one knows yet what the premise will be, and Mark is going to like this part. I was really hoping that the movies would follow the new Jedi Order novel storyline. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to see the Yuuzhan Vong on the big screen? Seeing their weapons and ships come to life and special effects would be awesome. Thanks for having such an amazing podcast, and may the Force be with you. Yeah, I would go ape if they decided to go with the new Jedi Order route. Uh, we just shared recently on our Facebook page uh, one of the fan-made cosplay costumes for a Yuuzhan Vong. Looked glorious. Oh, man, just to see you know, a, a warrior walk on with the bottom crab armor oh, with all the scars. and oh, I, I don't know. I, when I think of the Yuuzhan Vong, I think dark elves. I think orcs, orakai, things like that. Like that. That's as close as I, you know, movie-wise, could think of. But, oh. That would be a powerful story, man. That's that's one thing for sure. I know when I first thought of it, the first thing I thought of when they said episode seven, I was hoping for a new order of force users. I didn't care who they were, what they were doing. I wanted something new to come in, whether it was a threat or, you know, or they're feeling threatened by the Jedi, whatever. I wanted to see some kind of conflict with a new order of force users. That would have been would have been great. I must say, even though I'm partial to the Yuuzhan Vong, having written what I guess was only what the second, unless you count Nominor, maybe third stories in the Star Wars comics to include the Yuuzhan Vong. Uh, I gotta say that I have to uh, channel the 1992 song by In Vogue here when it comes to the new Jedi Order on film. Never gonna get it, never gonna get it, never gonna get it, never gonna get it, and so on. Um, not gonna happen. They are not going to use the expanded universe as the basis for the new films. I cannot even remotely see that happening, unfortunately. Uh, especially given the idea of them producing some type of new Star Wars film based on existing material. Even if they did use the EU as some baseline level to build from, they're not going to retell a story that's already been told in a previous medium. So as interesting as that would be, that is never going to happen. 
Yep. And Sandra also writes, hey, guys, I want to chime in on the commentary. I know that you guys really don't like Darth Talon. This is uh, in our legacy episodes. He was responding back to our over-sexualization of Darth Talon commentary. Uh, he goes, because she's a bit over-sexualized. I always saw Sith, dark side users, not the species. It's kind of like vampires in a way because Sith have a lot of passion. Hence the first two lines of the Sith Code. Peace is a lie. There is only passion. Through passion, I gain strength. Perfect example of a female Sith using her feminine wiles is Githany from the first Darth Bane novel in comics. Hey, I got to agree. That's a good, good, good example right there. Sith have a lot of passion. They're almost like sociopaths where they show no remorse for their actions as long as it gets them to their goal. The apprentice kills the master and takes the mantle of Dark Lord. I think that the situation here is a person that has been like a parental figure, taught you everything, then without remorse you kill them. Just like Darth Talon kills her teacher without even flinching. Another example is Darth Zana in, in Rule of Two where she pretty much was using quote-unquote what she got to get what she wants, so to speak, uh, on the Twilight Kel to gain trust between you know what was a prominent figure on Sereno. Yes, Talon is a Twilight, but female Twilights have always been the sex spots of the Star Wars universe, i.e. the dancing girls in cantinas. I don't see Talon as just eye candy for the story she embodies, the passion of all the Sith that we have, and the sociopathic ideas of what they believe. Well, enough of my rants. I love the podcast. You guys are the best out there. Keep entertaining the masses, and may the Force be with you. Sandra George. So the message from Padme and Leia, except for Padme in Episode 3, is... I am woman, hear me roar. For Talon, it's I am Sith Ho, hear me purr. Um, but no, I would say though that um, I think he's right though. The idea that you know it makes it makes much more sense for oversexualization to be done with a Sith. But now explain Ahsoka. Um, so I don't know. I at least with Talon, even though it is more over the top than it is with many other characters, at least it's a Sith doing it. And you could add in all, whether we're talking about the idea of the sexualization, tie it into the vampires, tie it into the idea of using sex to get what they want. Heck, if you want to take a, a, a religious uh, take on it, in many religions, the idea of being over-sexualized and the idea of sex, uh, uh, sex without reproduction and such being sort of like a sin or immoral or whatever, um, tie in that morality issue with the issue of being evil and being Sith makes a lot more sense than otherwise. Uh, at least Talon fits the mold of someone who would be over-sexualized. Uh, I'm still waiting for an explanation of many, 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 many of the other characters, Ahsoka and Ayla Sakura included. But at least, we have at least a partial rationale for talent. Uh, you know, the one other thing I want to think about was, you know, the Twi'leks, they live on Ryloth. Ryloth is a planet that was, for all intents and purposes, tide-locked. But what if their metabolism just runs really hot? I mean, that that right there would establish why most of them are loosely, you know, scantily clad as is. But now you take that aspect of, you know, look at uh, Vistara Kai. You know, she did similar to Ben, but she didn't use necessarily her body, but she definitely did a different type of seduction. So I could see that aspect of the Sith, you know, using the seduction. But now if the Twi'leks have a higher metabolism, well, that would explain why she's already half scantily clad. So, I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense. I would love to have seen a line or even like an outtake somewhere, at the, maybe at the back of one of the Fate of the Jedi books, where Vestara is trying to seduce Ben and he looks at her and goes, Hey, Tahiri stuck her hand down my pants in a novel. You're going to have to try harder than that. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, he also says, 
Hello guys, listening to episode number 92 and the part of the discussion about how an Imperial Knight is supposed to act. I'd like to give my input. When I started reading Legacy Volume 1, my favorite Star Wars comic series, hey hey, me too, the Imperial Knights reminded me of the Grey Jedi. Remember Jolie Bindo from Knights of the Old Republic to where as far as the Force goes, they seem neutral. I agree with Mark. Uh, to liken it to the new Jedi Order, they're seen by the public to be attached to the government. Maybe that's why their lightsaber blade colors are a white-slash-silver or neutral color. Well, that's what I thought when I first started reading the series. At this time, I haven't read any of Legacy Volume 2 yet, but as a Star Wars EU fan, for good or bad, we read and collect. Out of all the podcasts in the Star Wars Report family, and I subscribe to all of them, yours is number one. Keep entertaining the masses, and may the Force be with you. Excellent. Yeah, you know, that was one of the things that really jumped out, especially now that the second volume of Legacy has come along. And now, you know, Fel's daughter is now the Empress, and she's always had the blue lightsaber, which I, I always thought that was odd originally, that she had a different color than the rest of the masses. But, you know, now it seems like all the Imperial Knights' lightsabers have suddenly shifted blue. So maybe that, maybe I was onto something there. Maybe all the Knights changed their crystal to be like the Emperor slash Empress. I mean, that you know, the unified force, I guess, uh, that maybe that's just the way they're doing it. Yeah, and you could make the argument that at least this group that's attached to the government has purposely been attached to the government, because that was, of course, the big, you know, controversy several times about the Jedi Order under Luke was a question of whether or not they are actively tied to the government. Are they agents of the government? Are they agents of the force? Are they something in between? It's part of why Luke essentially broke them away from the Galactic Alliance to be their own faction in some of the later novels. Uh, although that did wind up sometimes causing them hardship. So there's definitely a, a distinction there when it comes to the affiliation of these. Like if this was in the, the Star Wars LCG, the living card game for Fantasy Flight Games, you'd almost have to be having a different little affiliation symbol for the Imperial Knights. They certainly could not fall under regular Jedi uh, or in a lot of ways in the other factions. And lastly, he says, Hello, Mark and Nathan was listening to some of the older episodes and wanted to give my opinion. I, like every other Star Wars fan, am completely excited about the new movies and, like any EU fan, are worried about how it'll change the EU. Yes, the EU, as we now know it, will change because of the new movies, but I think it'll only affect the EU after Return of the Jedi. All the stories in the Old Republic era, I don't think will be affected all that much. Yes, a lot of the EU is post-Episode 6, and like any fan, we can only hope that the new films won't jack it up completely. But even if they do, there's a whole lot of storytelling in the Old Republic era that's still yet to be written. We can only hope for the best. Thank you, and may the Force be with you. Man, I would love to hope for the best, but the one that gets me the most worried, we have a 900 years in the past origin story that could botch some things up. Granted, it only goes back 900 years, because when 900 years old, you reach my origin story, you will find. And, you know, the, that's the thing that gets me. You know, a lot of that stuff, oh, we got new movies coming down. Everybody's like, oh, everything after Return of the Jedi is in hose mode. It's in flux. It's like, well, I do believe they said there were some origin stories coming down the road. Han Solo, Boba Fett, those two right there, anything that's said in between three and four, you can pretty much uh, wait to kiss it goodbye. And if they did do a Yoda one, well, it depends on where they're placing it because the guy is 900 years old. Yeah, I don't know. I would almost rather see everything thought of as a separate continuity rather than saying, well, okay, it's all the same up to this point, but then it diverges, and now there's the EU version of it and there's the film version of it. Why not just make the EU its own separate continuity and just let the films grow as films? Maybe even with their own new expanded universe stuff, like the Rebels sticker book and all that kind of stuff that they're putting out there. Um, I think That's we pretty much nailed our thoughts on this back in our State of the EU stuff. 
Yeah, exactly. That gets back to my, my zombie EU. You know, if you cut off the current present head and you have these older stories that are, are telling other stuff, it's like, well, you, you've killed the EU and you're just pretending it. Oh, look, see, we've got new stories coming out. Well, they're not actually carrying anything on. They're all just one shots. Our next email comes from Scott Johnson and Scott writes, Hey guys, I really enjoy your podcast. I was listening to your latest feedback episode where the Clone Wars continuity issue arose. This issue also bothered me for a long time. I went back to the books, comics, and TV shows after a bit of altering of the order. I found that it meshes pretty well if you ignore out-of-universe reference dates and ignore Obsession comic completely. I have been able to come up with a timeline that I believe holds up pretty well, although it's nowhere near as all-inclusive as the timeline goal. My only issue now are the points at which Anakin meets Tarkin, which is fixed if you take out the Citadel arc in the TV series and has the added bonus of keeping Evan Pale alive for Coruscant Nights, and when Bly's armor changes to Phase 2. Nathan, do you believe that if Obsession was moved to Infinities, would this clear up most of the continuity issues in the Clone Wars era, or am I missing some other things? What do you think are the major problems existing now that are preventing a smooth continuity in this time period? You know, I'd have to go back and start actually making a bullet-pointed list kind of thing going on here, but I would say, I mean, it's... If you were to toss out the... Yeah, if you were to toss out Obsession, okay, and then if you were to somehow manage to do the whole parting of the waters thing, right, where you essentially split it between uh, Dreadnoughts of Rindilly and everything that comes afterwards, squash everything there into an earlier time frame, squash everything after that closer to Revenge of the Sith, plop the cartoon series in the middle of it, a lot of it would be okay. Um, I'm not sure that everything would work. That's why I was hoping to get something from Leland Chi where he might say, you know, well, here's how it's all going to fit. But since there's that big time gap that takes place within the Clone Wars cartoon series where it jumps ahead from Ahsoka being 14 to basically being uh, around 16 going on 17, then, hey, you know, let's shift that around a little bit and let's take some of the other stories that don't necessarily reference Anakin and Obi-Wan and drop them in there. Um, I think there's a way to make it all work. I don't think there's an easy way to make it all work. Uh, and by all, I mean actually more like the majority of it. I do think there's a few stories that would have to be kicked out. But to me, you ask the question, oh, could it work? I don't think the question of could even matters anymore. If they're not going to actually put out an official way for it all to fit together, anything we do is basically just going to be fandom speculation. And that's fanon. That doesn't fit within the continuity. I can't use it for the Star Wars timeline gold. Um, and anyone out there who uses it as an official order, well, it's just speculation. They're being intellectually dishonest to say that it is an official order. Um, I would love to be able to say that it can all fit together, but at this point, that's not the indication we're being given. I'm hoping, I'm crossing my fingers, that maybe, 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 maybe a little bit of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff is going to be going on. And we're And the reason they're not giving us an official order is that they're going to eventually say, oh, by the way... This is going to be a separate continuity, even though that does bring up issues and things like the Essential Guide to Warfare and the Fate of the Jedi Abeloth thing. But they can always just say, well, somewhat alternate versions of those events do take place within the continuity, just not the way they played out on screen. Kind of like they did with the Glove of Darth Vader stuff for a long time. But yeah, I don't know. At this point, I'm just – Clone Wars continuity makes me want to pull out my hair to the point where I finally just say, you know what? I give up. I give up. Yeah. There's not going to be an an- There's not going to be an answer. Fine. My give up. My give up. <laughs> I go to, and this may be the simplest answer of all, the aspect of the Clone Wars is just an inner universe cartoon show. Uh, you know, I, I talked to my roommate about that because he, he did not even want to give the show a chance. And then once I told him that, he was like, you know, okay, I'll give it a shot. 
And and honestly, I think that one makes the most sense because then you could say, well, you know, it was an in-universe cartoon show that was loosely based off of real events that they had no way of knowing 100%. So while certain events actually happen, they may or may not have happened the way they're predicted or or shown in the, the TV show. You well, know, so they, could they have won't. aspects of, you know, having uh, Mortis, you know, the Mortis monolith being there because that event actually happened. It may just not have happened the way that we saw it on the TV show. You know, like they all have the opening yeah. of law and order tack to them. The following does yeah. not depict any actual persons or event. It may be based on a story ripped from the headlines, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I do think, though, that I think we can all agree with Luke Skywalker, who in universe, I believe in the Jedi path, said the chronology of the Clone Wars is confusing. <laughs> yeah, biggest understatement ever. <laughs> All right, so now our next email, we're not going to be able to give you the entirety. Uh, this one is is almost a rebuttal, but not quite. Maybe. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, this one also comes from Stephen Howard uh, from Rocco Depot. Uh, he was, in fact, the reviewer of Darth Vader and the Lack of Plot. I mean, Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, yeah, which remember, and remember. I were both pretty hard on. Sorry. You may remember that in that episode, one of the things that I talked about before we actually talked about, and this is why he wrote in, uh, before we talked about it, I talked about how you pull up the author's own website, and he's going on and on about these glowing reviews the series got from, among other places, Roku Depot, um, and that I just could not believe we were reading the same comic. That is where this rebuttal comes in because of that specific commentary on Roku Depot's coverage and others. Yeah, and and again, you know, I I'm a forum moderator over at EU Cantina, as is Scaldron Stephen, and so you know I, I contacted him after that because we did talk about it at length. I just want to make sure you know there was no hard feelings because it wasn't like we were trying to attack anybody when we were talking about it. It was just you know one of those things. Star Wars fans, we're not all going to like the same stuff, and you know that's the legitimate basis of his response. And I will put the full email up on the actual website post. But there's there's so many points of views that he collected to prove this point and the point basically comes down to that you're never going to please all fans and we're all going to look at things differently so he goes before i say anything about darth vader and the ninth assassin first i want to present some peer reviews of the series in order to provide some content of the issue you cantina rated number one four out of five number two three out of five number three three and a half out of five number four four out of five and number five three out of five uh, Jawa James from Big Shiny Robot, he gave number one, number two, and number three all positive reviews. Uh, SciFiPlus.net gave number one a B plus, number two an A plus, number three a C, number four an A, and number five a C. Uh, Unleashed the Fanboy gave number one a 3.5 out of five, number two a 3.5 out of five, number three a four out of five, number four a four out of five, and number five, well, he couldn't find the review of that one. Maybe he gave up. Uh, the comic book resource, though, gave number two a four out of five. Culture Mass, uh, they didn't have reviews for one or two, but they gave number three a seven and a half out of ten. Number four a six and a half out of ten. And number five a seven out of ten. Geeks of Doom gave number one a four out of five. Number two a five out of five. Number three a four and a half out of five. Uh, comic List gave number one a two and a half out of five. Number three, they gave two out of five. And number five, a one and a half out of five. Uh, Red Shirt Crew, number five, they wrote, in the end, I found myself really liking the series, but this issue was without a doubt the best of the five issues. After all of this, I finally recommend this series with enthusiasm. Comics Corners gave number five three out of five. 
Mightyville.com gave number five a two out of five. Uh, he also threw up opinions from the Dark Horse comic forums on issue number five, as well as the Force.net forums on issue number five. Those you'll be able to find right on the post. Uh, and then he, he writes up with, uh, now we have a nice overall picture from a lot of viewpoints. I think it's clear that there is no one conclusive opinion on the series. From my viewpoint, this is a common state of things with anything Star Wars. And on a side note, I actually agree with him 100% on that. Fans are very passionate about the franchise. There's never complete agreement on anything. For instance, one of the most beloved series in all of the EU is the Thrawn trilogy, but there are still people out there who don't like it. Some people who love Stover, some don't. Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin is no different. Some people may like the series, and some may think it's trash. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. But let me say this. When I review something, I give my honest opinion. I do not give false ratings to anything. And now he's mainly saying this because, you know, we were talking about in general terms, you know, that we would hate to see people giving something a good review when it didn't deserve it. Uh, you know, and so he goes, uh, I do not give books or comics ratings higher than they warrant because I think by doing so, it would somehow protect the EU. And that that's basically the point of what we were coming at. You know, so, so he's addressing the fact that, you know, he gave it a high score, but he wasn't doing it to you know, appease the people giving him the free stuff. While you guys did not specifically say I was doing that, you only mentioned two reviewers, me and Comic Bastards. And you insinuated that we were giving these higher ratings because we thought it would protect the EU. I, we did kind of loosely. Um, yeah, so I, I get where he's coming from here. He goes, you also insinuated that people would give it a higher ratings if they had never read any of the other, if they had never read any other EU material. That certainly doesn't apply to me as I've read a very large chunk of the U. Now, before putting this together, and yeah, there was a lot of info to put together, but I felt it was warranted since Roko Deepu was clearly called out by your podcast and beyond the film spent almost two hours talking about it. I reread the five issues, the miniseries, just to make sure that my judgment wasn't misplaced. I wanted to make sure that my opinion didn't change. After rereading all five issues, I stand by my rating of five out of five for each issue. I felt that the last issue was the weakest especially art-wise, as noted in my review. But I also thought that the Palpatine reveal at the end, in my opinion, warranted some extra points. Without that, I would have given the issue a lower rating. But I really liked the hook at the end because it forced me to relook at the entire series and to reevaluate everything that happened. That hook gave readers a reason to reread the series and to think of things from a new perspective. You don't get that too often in a miniseries. Like I said in my review number five, I actually liked that the series retained some mystery, that it didn't explain everything. Not all readers are like that. Mark, you certainly like to have things explained without leaving things vague and unanswered. Nathan, on the other hand, likes to have names and dates on everything. Personally, I'm okay with the mystery. I don't need every character named. I don't need everyone's motivation or backstory laid out. I like it when a story makes me think instead of just giving it all to me on a platter. This series was very different from other series, and I like that. Sure, we've seen Vader being attacked and hunted down. We've seen Palpatine test him. We've seen plot devices tying into the Death Star. We've seen prophecies. But we've never seen those stories presented in this fashion. The first issue was presented from an untrustworthy narrator who presents things in a false light and sets up the main storyline. It comes at you unexpected. With the title and the cover, readers are expecting to see a whole bunch of Vader. Yet, instead of continuing that odd point of view, the second issue gives us what we originally expected. Vader. It changes things up. Even then, the unexpected keeps happening. Vader tossing the Emperor around. The Emperor appearing weak and talking about some mystical force cult, etc. Issue 3 changed things up by presenting a very visual story. Issue 4 plunged into the weird temple. All of those elements made it stand apart. For me, when reading the issues back to back, I didn't notice any clunkiness or disjointedness from the changes from issue to issue. For me, it worked. Was it the best Star Wars comic book series ever? No. Was it perfect? No. 
Was it a comic series I really enjoyed? Yes. I certainly thought it married a lot more than being gone trash. And <laughs> sincerely, Stephen Howard, Skuldron from Roco Depot. Now, I'm not going to say too much on this because it's essentially a rebuttal. It's essentially giving some some explanation. I certainly made our opinions of that series clear uh, in that episode. I would say that it'd be easy to devolve into the back and forth, uh, you know, why is this rated this? I can't believe you did this. You suck as a reviewer type of thing the way that, that many people do when it comes to things like video games and Metacritic scores and GameTrailers.com scores and that sort of thing. And, you know, how does it compare to these others? The issue that I had was that it felt like reading something completely different. I understand the idea that there are fans out there that have vastly different opinions of stories, and that's kind of where division in fandom often falls. I just found it shocking. I mean, Comic Bastards was one of those ones, not Roku Depot, but Comic Bastards, talking about the same issue, talking about the last issue, the same one that Roku Depot gave a 5 out of 5 for, uh, along with a perfect 25 for 25 for the series. Uh, which is, you expect something that's going to get a perfect score to be absolutely phenomenal, and this is something to be remembered for the ages. This is, if I can make a, a video game comparison, this is Ocarina of Time here. This is Uncharted 2 here. Um, I don't see anywhere within Phantom that we really get that sense that somehow Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin is going down in history amongst the, the annals of Star Wars comics, and this will always be remembered. Um, but Comic Bastards said, uh, who also gave it apparently a perfect score, or at least gave a perfect score to that last issue, Comic Bastards was the one that went on to say, quote, I'm going to generally miss Tim Seidel's corner of the Star Wars universe because it is some of the best storytelling the franchise has ever had. That's right, ever, and I'm including the films in there as well. That was actually what got me saying, are you guys out of your minds? It's not so much directed at the idea that fans can't have differing opinions, but to find opinions differing to this degree, I think, is something that's relatively unheard of outside of stuff like, say, The Phantom Menace. Um, the fact, or, or maybe Timothy Zahn's works. The fact that you can have some people saying this is, by their definition of their rating system, perfect, and others saying this is god-awful, I think that... that I don't know, I, there, there's something that feels like there should be some intellectual dishonesty in there. I don't think there is. I think it's really just a matter of how fans perceive things often in different ways, and the idea that Star Wars is so vast that everybody's going to have their own particular favorites. Um, but it's such an extreme difference of opinion that I thought that would especially deserve to be highlighted. Not so much... Uh, I guess we sort of turned it into something that felt like ridicule, and if that's the case, then I apologize. I'm very sarcastic a lot of the times, as you guys have probably figured out. Um, but, I don't know, I wanted to make sure that since I knew that we were going to be crapping all over this series because of how much we thought it was crap, especially me, um, that we should point out the fact that there were others out there that thought it was terrific. But to simply say... Uh, sort of the Dennis Miller, that's just our opinion, we could be wrong, here's what others have thought. Um, it kind of sounded like it would be much more amusing and fun for the episode, and shocking for the episode, I guess, um, to start with, here's what others thought, and we can't believe they possibly thought that. Um, the goal was to present something not really balanced, but at least adding in the, the idea that there are others out there who really liked it, we just can't see why, into the mix of the discussion. 
Oh, and it also provided this great opportunity for Stephen to come back and and you know it's it's a long email, very well thought out, uh, you know, and it does bring up a lot of points. And you know, we both agree, you know, you can't please all fans. Uh, you know, I I think 100% when we were really coming at it was that that one comment by Comic Bastards about how it's better than the films. I mean, that one I I think even Stephen would agree that it was it, it wasn't that good. Not not compared to the films. No, the films are good. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Although I will say, uh, I think I know I certainly do. I certainly stand by the review. I I think this was a terrible comic. Um, but moving us on, because I know we have several more to get to, and we're we're stretching this episode out quite a bit. Being our hundredth episode, we can do that. But That's right. we have a lot of things here. Uh, one comment uh, from James at Southard says, dealing with the uh, topic of the uh, Jedi, J E apostrophe D A. He says, hi guys, I really enjoy your podcast. The reason I email is for a podcast discussion idea or a feedback discussion. I just finished Into the Void. Fun story. I was wondering what your opinion is between Jedi and Jedi and Sith in terms of powers or understanding its meaning better. I don't read comic books, so I don't know the history of the Jedi, but Into the Void had me wondering which group has a better grasp of the Force. Hope there'll be more novels in this era. Thanks for taking the time to read my email. James. Ooh, jeez, I I would have to I would have to say it's got to be the Jedi. Uh, as I said in one of our last issues, ninety nine, yeah, our last episode, in fact, uh, they had a deeper connection to the Force in general. Unlike Jedi of Yoda's era, no Jedi in Yoda's era, aside from a few that have slid and fallen or now being shamed, have any kind of experience with the dark side. Whereas Jedi. They were expected to walk that balance. So to have the balance, you would have to go from one end to the other and kind of bouncing back and forth. So they had a very generalized or or very real uh, relationship with the dark side. Uh, you know, they experienced it. They know the temptations. They're ever present of those. And I think that Yoda's era of Jedi, that, that that's part of the hindrance was because they didn't have that personal relationship. It was easy to let their guard down. And therefore, they weren't always aware of that. It became more of a big boogeyman, you know, and then the dogma of it was more about like, you know, let's let's put out the dangers of the boogeyman, you know, instead of getting to know the boogeyman and understanding the boogeyman and coming at him from a point of knowledge. They came at it from a point of fear and we saw what happened. Fear leads to the dark side. I mean, you know, that that's just I can't get around that. I mean, I don't even know as much about the Jedi order as I do the Jedi, but that's clear right there that. You know, they had a personal relationship. Every single ranger, every single Jedi, they all had their own relationship with the light and the dark side of the Force. Yeah, I'd say that in a sense, uh, I think I'd have to agree that the Jedi seem to have a much better grasp of the Force. Um, it's not so much that you need to be able to experience personally good and evil to understand good or evil, but certainly there's a myopic's not the right word. There's certainly an imbalance to the way that the Jedi and the Sith look at things. The Sith look at the Jedi as flawed as an order and as if the light side itself has no usefulness to them. Same thing with the Jedi. The dark side is evil. We want to make no use of it. It's all got to be light side. You know, Sith are, are bad. The Jedi seem to be willing to take a more intellectually honest approach of saying there may be some usefulness to both sides of this, so we're going to sort of step in and control ourselves better um, and focus on either one. Uh, if the Jedi, in a sense, and the Sith, in a sense, are the result of choice, 
choosing the light side versus what often happens, someone who's chosen the light side choosing to go dark side, then maybe you can make the argument that the Jedi are people who choose every day. They choose the balance. They choose knowing what their options are. They choose knowing what the benefits are of either side and try to find a balance between them, though that would in theory make them more susceptible to find themselves falling to either one because they're willing to use it. You know, if you're a Sith and you don't want to get redeemed, dabbling in the light side is probably not a good idea. If you're a Jedi and you don't want to fall to the dark side, dabbling in the dark side is probably not a good idea. These guys are willing to shift back and forth, though, so maybe they're so used to it that it's it's easier for them to pull themselves back from either extreme. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I much prefer the Jedi perspective, even if it does suggest that they're not purely good. Um, where's the interesting storytelling in that? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, the two Jedi that jump up during the New Jedi Order for me that kind of fall closest to a Jedi in that regard would be Coran Horn and Jason Solo. I mean, you know, Coran, he used fear in I Jedi. Uh, granted, that's not really in the New Jedi Order, but, you know, he, he did similar things later, too, where he will use these feelings that people get natural feelings to help him achieve his goals. Whereas Jason, you know, Vergera, she taught him, you know, choose an act. You know, it, it, she, I don't know, I, when that happened, when she came out and said the whole, there is no dark side. You know, I always believed that there was a dark side, but I believe she was trying to just shake Jason up and get him to stop worrying about choosing the dark side. And that by by breaking that wall for him, she was able to get him over that hurdle. Granted, then later they, they retconned her as a Sith, and oh, suddenly that hurdle is a, is a drop to the Sith side of things. But, you know, at one point, the Jedi were kind of getting back to that. I think it's just a matter of informed choice, I guess is the way that I would say it. I like the idea that good or evil is a choice. It's not something being pushed on us either way. Um, I mean, it's like in, take Christian theology, uh, that being saved or uh, being on God's side instead of the devil's side, so to speak, good or evil, is a choice. You have free will. But it, it, the more interesting choice is for someone who recognizes what their options actually are. I don't think the Sith or Jedi ever truly have a good you know, intellectual sense or an intellectual understanding of both of their options. So they go with the one that's been pushed towards them. I was someone, to, to take this back to a religious discussion for a moment, I was someone who was raised uh, Baptist, so raised Protestant. But it was never something I really latched onto as a kid. You know, you go to the, the Bible school thing, but it's like a camp type of thing. You know, you go to church, but it's more a thing that you have to sit through before you can convince your parents, hey, let's go to McDonald's afterwards more than anything else. Um, by the time that I got to, uh, I would say, high school, I thought of myself more as a deist. I was studying theology stuff. I was studying uh, history, seeing all the things that religions have done or that people have done in the name of religion to each other, not that religion has done to people. Um, and thought, you know what? Maybe no one's ever got it right, but there is something bigger out there. So I thought of myself more as a deist um, until I actually came around, I guess, uh, in my early college days, around uh, 1998, 1999 where I started thinking about religion more. I started uh, taking more theology classes actually in college, and I made the conscious choice to become a Protestant Christian, a non-denominational beyond a Protestant Christian. In other words, I'm not Eastern Orthodox or Catholic, but just another kind of Christianity that, that is, follows more of a Protestant line of thinking. Um, but that that was a choice 
and it was just it's it's grown over the years especially as i've seen my dad become somewhat more of a religious guy and just kind of seeing the good that's coming out of people who whether any religion is correct or not that those who have faith in something oftentimes try to do right by each other and maybe that sometimes brings out the best of us even if those who don't believe in anything would say that that's an ignorant point of view at least it it leads to positive things but to me religion as a choice is an incredibly important part for me, of the psychological development of any human being. Whether you believe in anything or not, it should be something you choose to believe because you actually believe it, instead of choosing to believe something because, well, that's what I was always taught, that's the way my family has done it for years, and therefore that's the way I will continue to do it. That's blind faith, not in the sense of I'm willing to believe even in the face of contradiction, but blind faith in the sense of I'm not willing to look and see what options are out there in that sense in terms of what people believe about something beyond ourselves. So I like the fact that the Jedi are open-minded is not the word for it, but at least they're seeing all the options. So if one of them goes dark, they're choosing darkness. If one of them goes light, they're choosing light. They're not instead, yes, they may be wishy-washy, some might say from a religious perspective, but at least they know what the choices are. They're making conscious choices every day. It's like I say to my wife, you know, she says uh, sometimes, you know, jokingly well you know you know we're married now you know but uh, but you got to worry about whether or not she she always jokes that someone better will come along and i that's certainly not the case um but it's, we, we're both very self-deprecating in the way we think about ourselves when it comes to personal lives um and i make the comment and this is something i truly believe that when it comes to marriage for instance or any relationship um you are choosing to be with that person every single day. You could wake up and file for a divorce. You could wake up that day and say, I'm done with this relationship. It's not the best for me whenever you're not married, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? You wake up and you choose. You, I wake up and choose to be a teacher every day. I wake up and choose to be married every day. And I choose to be Protestant, in my case, every day. Um, choice is what matters. And I like the way the Jedi present that more so than... Luke and his ilk, or the Sith and their ilk. Ostranders created something special here, along with Dursima. I suppose that's my proselytizing for the day. My choose, ladies and gentlemen, choose something. Choice matters, etc., etc. I guess you could say I'm pro-choice, but that's a whole other issue to toss out there. Uh, uh, and I will leave it up to you to decide whether or not you think that I would fall under that label or not. Speaking of all of those things that fall under sort of theology and political science, the Polisci Jedi, Dom Nardi, sent us an email which reads, Hi, Nathan and Mark. Don't really have any specific feedback for your 100th episode, but I thought I'd write to say why Star Wars Beyond the Films is my favorite Star Wars podcast. I really appreciate that you two are unafraid to give your honest opinions in your reviews. Even if I disagree with you, I know when you like something and why. You're polite but also aren't scared of what others, including Lucasfilm and fandom, think. I worried that too often other Star Wars podcasts and websites have become almost scared to criticize anything Lucasfilm and Disney do for fear of dividing fandom or being negative. By contrast, I know that if I should avoid a book or comic, you too will tell me why. If an author or a Lucasfilm should be held accountable for producing subpar material, you'll do it. But if you praise something, then I also know that that praise is meaningful and heartfelt. That's refreshing. So in short, keep up the good work. Looking forward to hearing more commentary as we get into 2015. P.S. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Tales of the Jedi one day. I'm just finished making a few custom figures of those characters. Dom Nardi, the Poli-Sci Jedi. 
Well, thank you so much for that. And we will be getting to those down the road. Uh, you know, there's there's quite a few plans uh, down the road for 2014, which we'll get to when we uh, get to the end of all the feedback. But, you know, more comics, more book series especially, and occasional ponders. Yeah, one of the things that I've always really, and I guess this kind of goes back to the whole choice thing a second ago, I really value ever since Chrono Radio. When it comes to Star Wars podcasting, intellectual honesty is the key. You need to be able to recognize the truth pleasant or not, and say it. You need to be able to give your unvarnished opinions, though at least I do it without cussing up a storm like I used to do on Chrono Radio from time to time. Um, you need to be able to do that. And yes, sometimes you do get hit with the, the two negative stuff. We've had that happen a couple times with this show. Had that happen a lot with Republic Forces Radio Network when we didn't like a particular episode of The Clone Wars, for instance, like A Sunny Day in the Void, which was god-awful. Um, but I will say, though, that this has been a concern of mine from time to time. Um, we get review copies of things, and you always worry when you're doing reviews that if you are too negative about it, they might say, okay, well, we're not sending you review copies anymore. I would still go ahead and buy the items anyway. Um, but yeah, I wonder if after, for instance, my thoughts on Razor's Edge, if I should expect to see more stuff. Uh, though I doubt they're actually listening to every single review. Um, <laughs> but for me, also, that was one of the concerns I had when I got a chance to write for Tales. Um, in fact... In fact, uh, when I was originally approached by Jeremy Barlow to write for Star Wars Tales number 21, he sent out an email that was basically, hey, um, what do you think about possibly writing a story for Star Wars Tales? You know, just asking. Um, and my immediate response was not, oh, God, yes. Although I was thinking, holy crap, and I was really shocked at the time. Actually, one of the first things I asked him was, how, if at all, would that affect the fandom projects? How would that affect... Uh, at the time, Chrono Radio, how would that affect my Star Wars timeline and my ability to sort of give unvarnished opinions and stuff? Um, and he said, no, I mean, this is just essentially freelance work, right? You come in, you write, you're still you, you still do your thing. It's just, of course, that they wouldn't want me to go out, you know, in an official capacity at somewhat bad-mouthing anything. Um, and because that was very important. If it had come down to the idea of you can write for tales but you wouldn't be able to do your timeline anymore, and you would never be able to podcast again and give those unvarnished opinions because as soon as you write for us, you are a mouthpiece of Lucas books somehow, and now you are censored? We own you. I would have probably, I'd like to think, have said no. Nathan P. for pocket. He's yeah. an ours. I don't know if I actually would have said no, but I'd like to think that I would have said no, but instead, you know, the answer was something I could live with, was... Yeah, you're still you. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an important thing, and I think that that certainly shows with the way that we um, that we speak a lot of the time. And hopefully the praise doesn't feel like we are overly gushing, though I'm sure sometimes, like with Kenobi, it has. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, what's funny is, you know, we, we get these advanced review copies, and I'm so grateful for it. You know, I, I always would go out, I would buy the hardcover, and then a year later... I would turn around and buy the paperback because, you know, like I've always said, for me, the paperback book collection, that's what I'm collecting. You know, I get the hardcovers because I don't want to wait. I don't want to have to wait a year and have the book spoiled because I was I was having a, a problem with that was when I would wait. By the time I got the book, I would know so much about the book that I was just like half reading it because I was like, OK, I remember this. Yeah, oh. I was got to speed reading through it, not really getting that much out of it. And so then I was like, okay, I got to get the hardcovers. But then I was just like, you know, blowing all this money on the hardcovers, turning around, giving away the hardcovers or, or, or trying to sell them to get some money back. So it wasn't so hard. 
but then you know you get the, the books coming for free and you're just like man you know i don't want to screw this up <laughs> you know especially when you're reading as slow as i am now that i got jana in my life you know it's like I'm a, I'm a book behind the books come out and i'm just like man i hope they don't come down and be like hey you didn't get that out in time but you know at the end of the day i'm still buying the paperbacks because that's where my fandom is you know i i i've got books on the shelf here choices of one uh siege and scourge that you know I never got review copies of. I bought those books and I still haven't read them. I just I, other books came out and I never got around to getting to those ones in time. And I still want to, but you know, Jane has just been so demanding, which you know, and I'm fine with that. I'm at a point in my life now where you know I realize that you know the family aspect of things are way more important than just getting some time to read a book. You know, I, I understand that, but the book's important to me. You know, it's not more important to my family, but I've got to find a balance. And and unfortunately as often as I used to read before I had three kids has diminished some. Uh, so that that's the hard aspect of it. But man, you know, you get into these books and there's so much fun. And then you get into some of them that are just kind of like, eh. And at the end of the day, you know, you just, you just, you know, like with Steven, you know, we all read these things that we don't always get the same stuff. My roommate absolutely hates the new Jedi order. My absolute favorite series, you know, and we go back and forth talking about that. And, and I don't see it as a negative thing. I, I find it as, as an opportunity for me to show him the things that I really enjoy and I get an opportunity to learn about the things that he really enjoys. You know, like I said earlier in this episode, he likes the despecialized stuff. For him, canon is the very first movies that came out. That's Star Wars. Everything else was George screwing up a good thing. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's his opinion on it. And, you know, you watch things like the People versus George Lucas or, or Jedi Junkies and you watch other people's fandoms. And, you know, you, you see some people that are a little crazier than you and, and others that aren't. And you realize, you know what? I'm normal. It's like the doctors, ladies and gentlemen. Wait for it. Wait for it. For some people like me, number 11, with 10 being a very close second. Others, uh, all about number two or number four or number five. Uh, it's all fandom. It's just we all come at it with different ways. As long as we're honest about the opinions, and this is the same thing. Um, with our rebuttal letter just a moment ago. As long as we're honest about our opinions, then I think that we're all doing what we should be doing, even if we're not necessarily always in agreement. Uh, three to go. Three to go, ladies and gentlemen. Coming in from Hans Skolberstad. I believe I said that right. Uh, hopefully. He says, Greetings, Mark and Nathan. Congrats on 100 episodes, a milestone in the honor of the Star Wars The Clone Wars series. I caught on to your podcast a little late, Somewhere in the 30s I picked up because iTunes only went back so far. I'm also a latecomer to the Star Wars franchise in general. I think my first purchase was in 1996 for the special releases on VHS. That would be, I guess, the uh, THX remastered editions from 95. The main reason I listen to your podcast is the title, Beyond the Films. I'm currently on a crusade to read all the Star Wars EU books, not including the Old Republic era yet, although I did start my EU with the Darth Bane trilogy. I'm focusing on the Anakin lineage, so I started at Darth Plagueis going forward and made it through the Clone Wars, Stover's epic Episode 3 novelization. Good call, Mark. I recall you tweeting me about it. I'm currently stuck at Kenobi. After reading that masterpiece and knowing of the Evan Peel issue in Coruscant Nights, it's hard to jump back in. I'm also biding my time for the Empire and Rebellion books to come out, so I'll not miss them in my chronological reading order. I'll let you know how I fare through the original trilogy books, Thrawn and then the New Jedi Order. I don't mind listening to episodes of material I've not read yet. There's so much Star Wars EU material that your podcasts are like pseudo-Cliff Notes versions. That helps weed out the below-average comics. Nathan, positive vibes and well wishes to your family, sir. Mark, thanks for being interactive on Twitter. Thanks again for your endless dedication to weekly releases. 
Hans. You know, and it's interesting that you mentioned some of those things because, you know, Cliff Notes, I, I always worry that we are covering too much of these. And, you know, at the end of the day, there is so much about half these books. Like, I have some show notes that, that you know, I've got about 58 topics that we never even touch. You know, I, when I'm reading a book, now that I've got a smartphone, I got my OneNote app up and I've got a direct link to our show notes. I can go, oh, page 38 and, and all this happened. This page, oh, a reference to that. And, you know, we'll, we'll hit one of these episodes up. And next thing you know, we're an hour and a half into it. And it's like, we're, we're barely one fourth the way through my list of stuff. I'm just like, eh, well, go without it. That's the aspect about it that I remind myself. It's like, you know, even though we're spoiling the heck out of some of these stories, there's so much stuff that's happening in these books that, that we're just not hitting. There's just no way. So, yeah, we're, we're giving you a lot of action, a lot of the main plot points and stuff. But that no way means that we're spoiling everything for you. I, I look at the aspect of when I first got into you know, the EU, I grabbed the essential chronology, the first one, then the second one. And even though I knew, you know, events that were coming down the line in some of these books, you know, you're reading it in chronological order, but there'd be stuff that's older than some of the newer stuff, you know, and you'll be able to look at, oh, this is happening. But by the time you get to that book, even though you know the main plot points, it's the getting there that you don't know. That's not always covered. And, and it's that journey, that learning what happened. That was what always that's what appealed to me the most about being an EU fan. And that, that gets back to that issue about that. What drives me nuts about Lucas is that, you know, I consider myself a star Wars fan because I, I like everything in the sea level canon. I love the movies and the books. And I just, I wish that that passion for all of star Wars was there by the maker who created it all. It, that's where I get frustrated in that regard. But the, the plethora of story opportunities that are there in the books and the fact that, you know, we get to talk about it. You know, yeah, we spoil the heck out of a lot of stuff, but there's still so much out there. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for the well wishes for the family. We are we are slowly working our way through things. Jody has her upcoming appointment for the big issue that had come up during the uh, uh, the emergency room visit. We are hoping that by January they'll be giving us a settlement offer for that and we can take care of that. We've taken care of pretty much all the other medical bills tying into it. We've got her set up to finally have insurance coming up uh, starting in January which is good. Uh, she just got a checkup and her toes, she had a, a thing where basically she was at work and somebody dropped something very, very heavy and it fractured three of her toes, um, are fine now. And that was all covered by uh, basically workers' comp type stuff. So thank goodness for that. Um, things are getting better. Things are definitely getting better. We see a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, at this point. We may not be out of the tunnel, but we're, uh, we're certainly on our way. And it's this community has been amazing when it comes to support both uh, donating money to help us out and also just kind of constantly giving us the well wishes to keep uh, our heads above water. I would say from the standpoint of reading forward, yes, there's an Evan Peel thing with Coruscant Knights. Yes, Coruscant Knights has some other issues like, hey, this character's dead. Oh, wait, he appears in a later story. So, uh, dear Ms. Bonhoff, uh, no, the character's not actually dead no matter how much you want to say that the character was. I will say that I actually enjoyed the Coruscant Night books, minus that and the fact that they couldn't keep the continuity straight of the uh, the films, the chronology of the films to straight to save their lives. And it does affect the end of the third Coruscant Night's books because something is supposed to have had years and years and years and years and years to go bad when it's really only had a matter of months. But if you can overlook those things, I actually like the Jax Pavin character and I like the feel of the Coruscant Night's books. They almost <laughs> feel that sometimes like a cross between Star Wars and like a, a law and order type thing. Some kind of like uh, police procedural detective story. So don't knock them. I mean, they're not great, but they're good enough that you'll be able to get through them 
and continue on throughout the time frame. Though, honestly, if you're focusing totally on Anakin's lineage, you don't need him all that much. Vader only appears a little bit in those stories. Though, when he does appear, it's it's pretty cool to see those appearances. So, they're skippable, but, you know, to each his own as to whether or not you intend to skip them. Well, in that review, uh, I remember saying, you know, if... If you followed back to, uh, I believe it was Saboteur and uh, the other Darth Maul story that happens right before episode one and follow those stories, um, you know, I-5's character, go into the MedStar books, which you probably already read at this point. You know, it, by the time you get to that book series, I really enjoyed it. Granted, I did miss most of the the continuity errors that, that just, you know, drove a fiery hot spike right between Nathan's eyes. <laughs> I, I dodged that bullet. So I actually, I enjoyed them for what they were quite a bit. And then by the time I got to the end, I-5's character and Jax Bavan's relationship, oh man, that was that was some solid gold right there, especially I-5. I really enjoyed that character's progression throughout that series. And by series, I mean his series, not the Coruscant Knights. I mean, going way back to Saboteur and, and you know, going into the MedStar and following I-5's character. That was, that was a, a satisfactory journey for me. I really enjoyed that. And as we prepare to move to our next email, may I note that since he hasn't read those books, uh, when Mark says I-5 and Jax's relationship, he means friendship. I swear he means friendship. Uh, <laughs> it's only R2 that has those appendages that look like something. Anyway, um, okay, two emails to go for this episode. Uh, coming in from Robert Giles. Robert says, hey guys. I'm loving the podcast. It's great to delve into the nitty-gritty of the EU with like-minded fans. Congratulations on 100 episodes. It feels like only yesterday I was listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films Episode 1. It's been quite a journey. Here's a ponder that's been perplexing me off and on. This one always stood out in the courtship of Princess Leia. It seems that Han Solo and Senator from Alderaan Threken Horm are cousins. Am I reading that right? If they share a grandparent, Dala Sul, Dala the Black they would be first cousins, presumably along with Thrak and Sal Solo. Yet it's never mentioned in any form again, even when Horm plays a part in Tatooine Ghost. Speaking of potentially lost cousins, it seems that Ben Skywalker may have a cousin in Grace, if Hunter was indeed a Mara clone. This seemed to be what the author was getting at, but it was a bit hard to keep track of all the clones in Riptide. Genetically, Mara and Hunter would be identical twin siblings, making their respective offspring also first cousins. I do enjoy the family connection stuff. I'm interested in your take on these possibilities. Anyway, keep up the great work. Rob. Wow. That that just blew my mind. Yeah, I, I think, thought about that. This is me using the sonic screwdriver to keep my head from exploding. Uh, <laughs> you know, I never really thought about that. I guess it depends on our view, and perhaps we are all very uh, prejudiced ourselves that we think of clones as different than the originals but from a genetic sense they certainly are basically similar to the idea of uh, genetically identical twins so i mean i guess grace would be one that would be tied into ben assuming that that hunter is meant to be a mara clone it's been a while since i've read riptide uh, to be able to look back at that but i think that was the case there um as for i I uh, believe it was a mara clone and they had a kid with a cam solsar clone i think I, I don't recall if they mentioned who it was or maybe it was a Jaden core clone i don't think they established who the father was did they I, I don't know you know what i wonder is whether or not at some point there is a jedi archive there's a holocron just like the one in uh the what was it called a uh, children of the force the episode of the clone wars where cad bane had stolen the little 
uh, holocron had the kyber crystal thing to open it up and use it to figure out you know where you can find all these children that have the, the potential to be jedi what if there's a, a a holocron somewhere that luke keeps because all these characters seem to keep marrying off with each other and these same bloodlines keep coming back i wonder if there's like an incest protection holocron that says whoa, 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 whoa wait a second sorry this one is too close to you genetically in terms of uh these different family lines um, you're not allowed to have children with this one just in case there are some genetic anomalies. Uh, we'll bring in the 2-1-B to check you guys out before you uh, uh, spend some time together. Uh, and then, and of course, that whole thing's got to be way screwed up because that then begs a question of, of what is Anakin genetically? Is Anakin genetically part midichlorian? Is it possible that his genetic... that is Anakin basically a male genetically otherwise identical clone of Shmi? Because if there was no father, the midichlorians were the father, then unless the midichlorians inputted some type of genetic engineering into this somehow, then Anakin's gotta be basically just a copy of Shmi. Um, and that essentially means that when Padme had kids with Anakin, it was as if she was banging Shmi. And that's just creepy <laughs> as hell. <laughs> Although if Qui-Gon really did have a thing for Shmi, and that was why he put his hand on his shoulder, as some people said, then it would explain why he would want to take Anakin with him, though in a very creepy pedophilia type of sense. So there's all kinds of creepiness you get into when we start talking about this. But I love the fact that he's dug into that info, because that was stuff I never even thought of. I would like to see a, a, an expanded family tree of the Skywalkers and Solos that might include those, because there's all kinds of other possibilities of expanding those out if we really got down to it. Someone, someone out there needs to make a... Uh, Star Wars Ancestry.com crossover gold or something. <laughs> I sense the boy's future. He's screwed. And lastly, so we can get away. You know, I was I was debating which of these two to use as the last one, whether to grab Daniels uh, or to grab. Uh, that one there from Robert, and I just went with the order that they were sitting in my Outlook because it has the newer ones up at the top, and thank goodness I did. I'd hate for our 100th episode to end with pedophilia and incest, uh, <laughs> although it certainly would be in keeping with the Star Wars tradition of kissing sisters and such. <sighs> okay. Daniel Contreras sends us what will be our last feedback email of this episode uh and thank you very much for sending one in that could show up at the top of the inbox daniel uh he says and actually this came in today uh right before we recorded he says hey guys saw your request for letters and thought i'd finally submit mine i've been active in the online star wars community since the early 2000s especially the force.net message boards don't worry daniel we won't hold that against you it was there that I first heard rumblings about this newfangled fan thing called podcasts, which led me to the Canadian Star Wars on Direct and Nathan's own Chrono Radio. I listened to both series, including all the back episodes. It was wonderful to hear the voices of fans who love the EU as much as I did. It meant I was not alone. You see, for me, the Star Wars community was much more than just a hobby or even a passion. For much of my life, it was a sanctuary, a safe place. My whole life, I've known I was different than the guys I grew up with. I couldn't relate to the usual guy stuff like cars and sports and girls, especially girls. Acknowledging that I was gay just wasn't an option growing up, so I had to find other ways to relate to my friends. And Star Wars was one of the few things we had in common, a way I could relate to them. When I got older and got into college, I found it more and more difficult to avoid the, quote, do you have a girlfriend questions from family. 
All my cousins were getting married, having kids, but I was always the shy one. The guy who seemed to be too busy with academics or Star Wars to worry about dating. At least, that's how I projected myself. In reality, I was retreating from much of the world, isolating myself because I was having a tough time coming out to anyone. During that time of self-imposed isolation, I would turn toward the online Star Wars community to find friends I could relate to and share something in common. The real world just didn't seem like an option for me. By 2006, I realized things had to change. I had to address the issue of my sexual orientation for my own peace of mind. I came out to friends and family and found a lot more support than I expected. It was a time where I focused on myself and put Star Wars to the side. For the next few years, I really made a point of developing in-person friendships and improving my relationships with my family. It's like I had been set free. I had been a lifelong Christian, raised in the church and attended church-run schools. There was even a Christian gay community that I found and was involved with during my coming out years. Whereas the Star Wars community had been my earlier support system, these guys and gals were there for me as a newly out gay man. Things aren't always so nice and neat, of course. With coming out came other challenges. The chief one for me was a spiritual crisis, a loss of faith that led me to the darkest point in my life. It was during my long commutes to and from work that I really dwelled in my own thoughts, only to spiral further and further down. It was the darkest of dark times for me, where I looked for a way to exit permanently. You might be asking, what does all this have to do with our podcast? You asked at just the right time. It was early spring 2012. An old college roommate asked me to join him for Star Wars Celebration in Orlando that summer. In order to avoid being totally in the dark, I decided to get back into the online Star Wars community. Part of that included looking up Nathan's Star Wars fan work site. I came across his episodes of the EU Review. It wasn't just the material that I was enjoying, but also the familiar voice of someone who'd been a part of my journey those many years ago. I listened to all the episodes quickly following them up with your guys' news show, Star Wars Beyond the Films. I made a point of listening to your show during those long work commutes. It forced me not to dwell on my own thoughts, to focus on something external. I got back into my love of Star Wars and reached out to fellow members of the Star Wars community again. Celebration was something I could focus on and be excited about, and the podcast jazzed me up every time I listened to a new episode, providing me not just with a distraction, but with a new hope for a passion I'd left behind. It was so great hearing you guys each and every week. That positive outlook reminded me that I didn't have to fall back on those old patterns once the convention was over. I decided to finally open up to those closest to me, and I've sought help and am in the process of dealing with the issue in a healthy way. It might be too much to say Star Wars saved my life, but the community, and Star Wars Beyond the Films in particular, were really there for me when I needed them. It's been said that the Star Wars community really comes out to help one another in our times of need. I feel like you guys, even without realizing it, were there for me from a certain point of view. When I saw Nathan post about his recent medical bill situation, I knew I had to do what I could do to help in return. You guys were there for me last year, and this was my chance to show my appreciation. I know this probably isn't the normal type of reader mail you guys get, but it was important enough for me to share with you the kind of impact your presence can have, even if it is in ways you didn't expect. Thank you both. Keep up the great work. I, for one, am a lifelong fan. May the Force be with us all. Daniel. Wow, Daniel, that is super humbling, and you know I feel honored to be, uh, you know, be able to be there for you in what little way uh, I had a hand in being there. You know, I I just enjoy sitting down, and talking, and getting to talk with Nathan, especially. I mean, that was you know getting to start the show and doing it with Nathan was awesome. I mean, I remember when I first started doing podcasts, I missed the boat with Andrew Loopy. He left EU Cast, I got on, and then he joined with Nathan to do the uh, EU review, and I was like, oh man, that's what I should be doing. And then, of course, you know, here we are now. And so for me, it's just like a dream come true. But, 
you know, when you're dealing and you're in these tough and dark places, that I can relate to different different darkness. But you know, when you're down in those holes and you know you just feel like you're cut off from the world, you know that connection that 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 can make or break a person. You know, I mean, that could be the death knell if you have no one out there that you can reach out to and connect to at all. Uh, you know, when I was first getting into my Star Wars books and stuff, you know, uh, my wife had miscarried, and uh, you know that was a, a dark time for us, and I. You know, she's my best friend and I couldn't talk to her about it because, you know, it was it was things that had happened to her that I was trying to, you know, come through my own feelings and stuff. And, and it was just it was difficult. And so, you know, I was able to through Star Wars in my own regard, you know, get with some coworkers, you know, sharing books and talking about that. And we would start talking about other things. And, you know, I had that kind of community. But that the end of the day, that's what fandom is, man. It's, it's a community and being able to, to find the like minded individuals inside that community is so helpful. I mean, you know, we're, we're huge. You know, we were just talking about Stephen Howard, how he was pointing out that we all have different opinions. You know, you go to different websites and stuff, you'll find a lot of like-minded individuals. Sometimes they're not the same points of view that you carry. But when you do find those people out there that do have the same passion about the thing you care about, uh, that's magic, man. That is fellowship. I'll agree. It's a very humbling thing. I mean, I'm I'm not usually thought of as a softie, but as I said, I was somewhat in tears with a bit of the end of a, a day of the doctor earlier today, and I'm, I was sort of fighting to be able to get through reading that out loud. That was actually the first time I read it. I waited until the show was going to, to read most of these emails or to hear most of these emails so the thoughts could be fresh, and now I'm kind of like, ooh, okay, um, from a just it's trying to get – trying, yeah, a little bit. Um but I mean, that's I think what what fandom is supposed to be. I mean, that, that's when fandom is at its best. I guess is the best way to put it. When we we are there for each other, we help each other, and we, and that's one of the things that I think a lot of times is different in the fan community with podcasts than it is with celebrities. You know, like I may feel based on having taken the time to maybe follow a particular TV show for a while that oh, or, or, or hear the the comments of a certain actor or actress. Oh, it's like I know this person. You meet them at a at a convention like oh it's, you know i followed your stuff and you feel like you know them and they're like okay i don't know who you are so yeah um we can take that picture but let's not be all uncomfortable about it whereas with fandom uh, things like podcasts and fan films and that sort of thing there's much more of a communal interaction um uh, this series i hope to a lot of folks doesn't feel as though we're just kind of talking in a void but that there's there is that interaction whether it's facebook or emails or twitter where you do get to know people. I mean, maybe not as closely as sometimes it feels, but you do get to know people. Um, Daniel's been somebody who's been very active on on the Facebook pages and such for a while now. And, you know, I feel as though because others sort of know us well from this, that in many cases, maybe I know them better than I think I do sometimes. Um, so, so I don't know. It's the community coming together that it doesn't matter whether we've met face to face. It doesn't matter whether we've spoken verbally or if it's just been in text we are a community you know we do connect with each other star wars brings out the best usually in people and causes us to connect I and mean, daniel's said you know how talk about how we sort of helped them through it um daniel has certainly been one of the people helping us deal with what's going on with us right now with the whole uh, medical bill situation and everything um what i am very glad to see and i've said this before that the star wars fan community out there is whether you want to say it's a blessed community, a a great community that just happens to have good people in it, maybe it's because we're based on a saga that was meant to bring hope or whatever, um, we've avoided 
at least I, I think in many cases, uh, in most Star Wars circles, we avoid the things like you get in some other communities. For instance, the Xbox Live community. It is a community, but it is certainly a very much, ba- a community very much oftentimes it feels like based on negativity, based on stereotypes, based on slurs. You know, it's the nine-year-old playing a video game, calling someone an effing N-word, F-word, you name it, just because they're losing a game and it's not a community. It's it's a prickly place. It's a place where you don't need to worry about rubbing people the wrong way because they already are. Just by the nature of the atmosphere that's promoted within that community. The Star Wars community, and especially I think now with social media, is a community that promotes the positivity. Things like the 501st, uh, the Dark Empire, people out there doing all this charity work and such. We want to be positive with each other. We want to reach out. And especially when so many fans, like me in my childhood, um, like one of our, our listeners who wrote an email back a couple of feedback episodes, I think, ago, or maybe in the last feedback episode about being in a place where there's not a lot of other people around and asking the question, could he be a fine Star Wars fan? Um, that you don't need the people around you physically to be fans because that is one circle and fandom is another. And it's great when those circles entwine, but that doesn't make the fandom circle because it's not in person any less real. Um, I have learned that certainly here. Um, you want to talk about dark times. When I first moved down to Georgia, it was just me. I mean, my best friend down here for years, who's now living in Texas, uh, Davin Guest, Davin was a student of mine my first year here, and we didn't know each other that way. It took a couple of years for us to become friends outside of school, and we bumped into each other again and found out we had similar in, uh, uh, interests to wind up becoming good friends. There was a long time here where outside of people that I wound up dating for very short periods of time, I was alone. I didn't know. My, one of my best friends now is my department chair at work, um, Angela Winchester, and she and I are almost like brother and sister. In a lot of ways, we look out for each other, um, almost like a like a family in that sense. Um, I didn't know her really. We were in the same department. Her classroom was on the completely other side of the building from mine. I was literally isolated at work, at home, everywhere except online, and that was the era when Chrono Radio started. I started teaching the same summer that I started Chrono Radio. You may remember the first couple episodes of Chrono Radio. I talk about moving to Georgia. Um, as I, you know, it was the May episode of Chrono Radio, and I moved in July and started teaching in August of the same year. Uh, Star Wars and that community, and podcasting specifically, very much was what kept me sane for a long time of what could have been extreme loneliness and detachment from everything. Um, to hear that it has done so for others, and that that we've had a chance to sort of pay that back without meaning to even. Um, with this show is very gratifying and yet another example, apparently of how, when I get my thoughts going, I become very verbose. Um, but thank you very much, um, for writing in Daniel. And I would say that from the perspective, if, if we have other fans out there, and I'm sure that we do, um, who are gay Star Wars fans and aren't quite sure in what context that all fits for them, I would suggest go on StarWarsFanWars.com. Um, I think I still have it up. It, it may be something that has to come up in the near future. I think it's still up there. Um, I did a very short-lived Star Wars podcast called Other Voices um, back around, I want to say, 2005-ish or so. Um, and that show only ran for two episodes. 
But the idea was to bring in other perspectives and have people record segments of their own and submit them. And I would put them together sort of in a Dateline magazine, like news magazine type format. And one of them uh, was uh, Jamie uh, sent in a segment on being a gay Star Wars fan. I want to say it was in the very first episode of that series. So if you're interested in seeing that perspective, it's there. So I would say go on StarWarsFanWorks.com. I believe it's on there. I believe it's in the middle column near the bottom. Look for other voices, click on that, uh, and check out the first episode of Other Voices. It was Jamie Goodwin with a great segment uh, simply entitled Being a Gay Star Wars Fan. It's the uh, last segment, I believe, in that episode that also had segments from Steve Mullman, Brian Patrick Stoyle, Michael Glasso. Um, it wasn't a long-lived series, but I think that was one of the shining moments where it put in perspective something that a lot of fans don't think about. Um, if you're a Star Wars fan... Not everybody is going to look at life the same way that you do. And for some reason, we often, we recognize that when it comes to religion. We recognize it when it comes to male-female. But I'll be damned if it seems like we ever are, are able to get our minds out of that box and recognize that there are other distinctions out there and that we are all Star Wars fans. I'm not sure if it's a good thing that we don't think about it because it means that we don't divide people into groups or if it's a bad thing that we don't think about it because there are, are elements that we almost exclude without meaning to from the community sometimes. Um, but we are all fans. It brings us together and it frankly should. Um, anything that divides us out there, it's just the BS. If you're, if fandom is stressing you or causing you to divide with people, you're freaking doing it wrong. Amen. Brother Nathan. Now, uh, now that we're done with the email feedback, we do have a quick look into 2014 for you guys. Some things to uh, look forward to. Uh, you know, we have been doing uh, comic books lately, kind of focusing more on those. It's all in process of getting close to the vector. Uh, that was one arc that covers four major uh, comics, so we've been kind of moving things along in that direction. Uh, we would like to hit some more book series. There's some people out there that would like to see New Jedi Order. I know I've been... I, I am one of those that I want to see us do it. Uh, I'd like to do it not just as one whole series, but kind of do it a book at a time, you know, get into it, dwell into it a little bit. Uh, but, you know, again, we don't want to kind of just overwhelm the feeds with any one thing, so we're going to try to jumble it all out as much as we can. Uh, again, we are focusing on comics right now because there is an actual drive towards a goal. Uh, but another thing we'd like to get back to is more ponders, things like that. I know that there was a, a recent article about Brian Wood and, and uh, you know, sexism and feminism and, and you know... Uh, hate crime almost, uh, you know, some controversy there. That'd be something that we may get into down the road. Uh, you know, videos like Jedi Junkies and the People vs. George Lucas, things like that that we've talked about. We're still talked about the uh, the swearing episode, you know, and at one point, one whole phone ago, I had a whole bunch of swear words all saved on a phone before I had the whole smarter phone and I didn't have the cloud and it all just got lost in a factory reboot. So I've been slowly collecting those again. You know, maybe we'll get to there. But we did ask a question on our Facebook page. You know, today's ponder was, what would you like to see from Stars Beyond the Films in 2014? And we had a couple of responses. Uh, you know, uh, Eli De Silva, he wrote, uh, I'd like to see more episodes discussing and or debating topics concerning Star Wars and in-depth views, just like the Mando episode or the episode about the Disney acquisition and its effect on canon and other that you've done in the past. I'd also like to know your point of view on Rebels, and I have faith that it's coming down the pipeline. Uh, Arnold Corso, he writes, uh, I very much agree with this, and uh, it's important to represent different sides of some of these debates, as Star Wars Beyond the Films has done in the past. 
aside from Star Wars Beyond the Film, that's something I think is sorely lacking within the Star Wars community. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the things we're looking forward to doing, which is like to throw that out for you. Uh, and another thing before we get going here, we've hinted about it for a while now, our 100th episode hardcover giveaway contest. What's up for grabs? Well, we've got hardcovers like Mercy Kill, Scoundrels, Crucible, Dawn of the Jedi. Nathan, what are some of the other things we have? We have, speaking of hardcovers, some little teeny tiny books from episode one. Uh, episode one, who's who, and episode one, what's what. These things are a little bit bigger than a, a silver dollar, about the size of a set of post-it notes. We also have uh, two copies up for grabs of my novel Greater Good. That's a paperback, didn't have a hardback. Uh, of Greater Good out there, we also have one copy of Wars, the Battle of Phobos, Volume 1, Preludes, which has my story uh, Healers and Hunters in it along with two other stories, and we also have two, count them, two unopened Star Wars Tales number 21 equals and opposites comic packs, where whoever wins those will have the option, uh, if they like, of having me either sign the packaging, because they are still sealed, or popping them open and signing either the interior or cover of the comic inside, which is just my equals and opposites. It's a special version of Star Wars Tales 21 that just has my story to go along with the Kyle Katarn and Yuzhan Vong figures included. Now, how are you going to win? I'm sure you're just wondering this. Well, the hardcovers, we will be releasing the announcement details on who wins every month. Uh, each one book will come out each month. The other ones, uh, the ones that Nathan has, the comic books, the greater good copies, Battle Phobos, all that fun stuff, those are going to come out in between each episode. So you'll be getting a contest every other week you'll have details as they come the first book we'll be giving away is mercy kill you will be able to start entering the contest as of right now we will announce the winner at the end of the year uh and then from there on you will get details as each episode comes out we'll announce which part of the contest is coming up next how you can enter in because there are so many different prizes we realize you know you don't want to just throw your name in and, and hope you get something you like you probably already have half of these books you probably only want the one so at least this way it gives you an opportunity to, to apply for the one you want and it also allows us to have this contest go into next year so you know we'll have a lot of little fun goodies and stuff like that coming down the way we have some also some surprises that we'll be telling you about in 2014 as they get done uh, we've hinted about some shirts some stickers things like that so hopefully we'll start to see some of those fruits of our uh, endeavors as they come closer uh, so with this first one Nathan you want to give them the uh, details on how that they could win a copy of Mercy Kill well, it's very simple now because we have quite a few giveaways to do we need you to specify which one you are entering into. So, send us an email. Email address is swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. When you send that email, in the subject line put Mercy Kill. And we'll do that for each of the subsequent contests. Right, so, Mercy Kill this time around. In the body of the email, tell us your name and mailing address just in case you win so we don't have to then try to get in contact with you later, we can have that there to be able to package that up and get it ready to send out very, very quickly to you. That's all you got to do. And we will randomly pick a winner each time around. Get your entries in by December 13th. Easy to remember, it is Friday the 13th, and we will announce the winner on the episode scheduled for December 27th, 2013. That is the last regular Beyond the Films episode of 2013, because that's the last Friday in 2013. 
Now that about wraps up this 100th episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It is the best way to interact us, our home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show on Facebook, we also love interacting with you fellow fans. If you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or if you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And, of course, you can check out the Amazon.com store that my wife and I run. It is Lil Joe Collectibles, Amazon.com slash shops slash Lil Joe Collectibles, L-I-L-J-O Collectibles, all as one word. And if you are intending out there to still uh, step up and perhaps say thank you by helping out, I would really appreciate it with the whole medical bill situation. If you want to help out the way that uh, Daniel and others have, uh, you can PayPal to Nathan at StarWarsFanWorks.com. I'm very appreciative of those who have done so. Um, this has been a great help to us. Uh, you guys are natural leaders uh, to take a play off of Star Wars here. But uh, my thanks to those who have. And if you want to, well, there's an email address there. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you are Audible Trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the expanded universe or any other genre without being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Why? Because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you are thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. If you're also looking for ways that you can support the Star Wars Report and the Star Wars Report podcast, you can go directly to www.starwarsreport.com support or just follow the link at the bottom of each of our Star Wars Report episode posts. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that everyone who likes the Facebook page for Star Wars Beyond the Films will go ahead and do so for Rebels Roundtable. Ooh, good call. See, this is what's going to happen a few times. Let me say that again. I'm losing my breath here. And the seeming willingness to let... Let me say that again. The kind of story that we can enjoy without worrying that we're losing our Star Wars geek cred. Uh. I had to put browser to die. My bad. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars geek cred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Whether that means that wood is perfectly but Whether that means that wood is perfect. In light of Brian Wood's repeated nut shots to continuity, it makes Jeez, why don't I have these names down? Neither of the two Jedi present on the second desk are on the 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 sucker dust scar. That's a big scar. Oh, okay.
<laughs> well, then maybe I'm just reading it wrong. Using what she got. Yeah, th okay. Th <laughs> the winner on our episode scheduled for December 29th of 2013. Wait a second, that's me being...